Hello, everybody, and welcome to This Week in X, presented by Crushing Comics. I am your moderator, Crisis with a K, and I'm here with some of my favorite friends, X fans, mutant lovers from around the world to talk about this week's X-Men comics, because we think that comics, and especially X-Men comics, are better when they are read together. So here we are, and we have four X-Men comic books to talk about that were out on the 27th of January, 2021. That's a lot of comics. It's Excalibur number 17, New Mutants number 15, Wolverine number 9, and X-Men number 17. As a spoiler warning, we're going to talk about every detail in these comics. We're going to talk about other X-Men books, the complete history of the X-Men, anything is fair game in the Marvel Universe. So this is a full spoilers discussion. And with that all out of the way, I get to introduce my friends to you today. So since we have so many comics and all four of us on the program today, I'm going to have each person answer the same question in our introductory round. So first I will go to Fariha with this question. One of the books today uh, features an auction and capitalism certainly is a theme through a few of them. And we're all big comic book and, and collectible memorabilia collectors. What is one of your best auction or get it now or FOMO kind of stories? about your collection. <laughs> so I have the the Sandman bookends that mm. kind of now goes for like, I think $500 to $1,000 now. Oh my goodness. They are gorgeous. I, they are very gorgeous and very detailed done, but I want it in an auction. After tax, I think I paid $187. Ooh. And you just it like was... sniped it at the last minute? How did you do that? Yeah. It was like I just kind of said like you know la because I always do the last minute sniping thing because you know there's no <laughs> point of go doing it otherwise um, and then it is mostly like I whatever the amount I'm willing to pay if it works it works so I exactly. was shocked I was shocked when that was the winning price like and then no one else put anything higher than that and yeah so then I I, I got it like I have it since 2016 so that. That is my one of my proudest moment. In Your best deal. <laughs> yeah, my best deal. But yeah. That's good. What about you, Tyler? What is your all-time best? Doesn't have to be a best deal. Just got to be the yeah. best story. I mean, I, I don't do a lot of eBay nowadays. Um, I mean, I used to do it a bit now and then because, you know, um, the books were, some books were very tough to find, especially for us, like Omnibus Collector. Um, then which was like a couple of years ago, it was a little bit more difficult and the reprint cycle is still not confirmed. Right. So you don't know if it's confirmed out of print or something like that. But I, I, but I have a recent uh, story. So basically, you know House of X, uh, Powers of Ten, they are coming out with a series of uh, small miniature figures uh, from Hero Clicks. Right, which is a, game, it's a tabletop game. Yeah, Some of them are correct. really cool. There's a Glob Herman Hero Clicks. There is a Glob Herman, Glob, yes. Glob fans. We, yeah. we... It, it is related to that I'm, I, um, I, because this is new, so it has not come onto eBay a lot yet. But um, there was one other run before that, which is the Deadpool, uh, Deadpool and X-Force one. And they were like going for sale quite cheaply on eBay. Like, you know, you get like 10 booster packs for like $60, which uh, each booster pack is like five characters. So you have like five, 50 random characters for like, mm -hmm. you know, $60. And I was like, I was like, okay, so I'm just going to put in an offer. Say, oh, what about, you know, $55? If I, were you, were you, were you, are you willing to let go of it? Right. So the, 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 the seller came back to me and said, no, 
um, I do fifty eight dollars. Then I'll say, okay, what about fifty seven dollars? Uh, oh, I mean fifty six dollars for <laughs> two. So I'm gonna get two from you at fifty six. And he's like, no, I'm I'm gonna do fifty. I'm gonna stick with fifty eight. So I was like, okay, fine, I'm not doing it. And then a month later, the price dropped to fifty five dollars. So I bought two at fifty five. <laughs> <laughs> Bring it home. So I was like, oh, okay, fine. I got really for like two dollars. I know. That I just... mean, I was just doing it for fun, and he's like, I was like, then he's like, no, okay, fine, I'm not doing it. And I was like, oh, it drops to like fifty five dollars. Uh, okay, free shipping, done. That's fine. Harry, what nice. about you? What is your best story of either an acquisition had or possibly one just missed out upon in this right. capitalist well, I, I, life? Yeah, I play it pretty safe with purchasing things. I just stick with it in stock trades mostly. But when I have bought uh, stuff through Facebook, I go through our omnibus collectors group that we're all part of on Facebook. And a guy was selling the Wolverine Jason Aaron omnibus that was signed by him. And it said he was in Florida. And I was like, oh, cool. Well, you know, maybe I could just pick it up from him, uh, you know, face to face. And uh, not an amazing story, but he turns out he lived right across the street from my office. And I was already driving to work. So it's just like, all right, I stopped by, picked it up. It was like the cleanest, most accessible purchase I've ever had in this in this hobby. Uh, and I felt really good. I bet Wolverine really envies you right now. How, clean, how quick <laughs> and clean your transaction was. Just shook a guy's hand, got the product, went home. <laughs> well, I had one story, but that one made me think of a different one. Um, yeah. Well, so I, in addition to comic book stuff, I'm also a collector of a lot of musical stuff, music, um, sheet music, instruments, and guitar effects pedals. And when I was in playing a lot in my band, I had certain effects pedals that I really needed because we were a cover band and to do certain songs, you kind of want it to have the sound of the song. And there's this one delay pedal that it's just very common and it always sells for what it sells for. And it was more expensive than all the other pedals because delay pedals can record a little loop. So it's more circuits, I don't know. And I decided like I would not pay that much. I had to get it at a discount. It's the only way that I was going to buy it. So I looked on eBay. I looked on everything. I finally found somebody local on Craigslist who was selling it like $20 cheaper. And they were like a 30 minute drive from my house. So I was like, you know what? Fine. An hour drive each way. Like I'll practice harmony for songs in the car. It's not like it cost me anything. I'm going to save 20 bucks. It's totally worth it. and so I, I drive to the house, and this is when I still lived in Pennsylvania. And as I'm driving, we're getting more and more remote. And like we're getting into like one-lane roads, and then roads with like no streetlights at all. And then we're like going under these weird rickety bridges. I'm like, where am I? Mm-hmm. So I pull up to this house, and there's like other houses in sight, but it's not a development. Like there's no near neighbor. And I, I'm like, this is the address. So I get out of the car, and I knock on the door. And the guy opens the door, and it's this older guy. And the first thing I notice is that the entire house is empty, and there's just like plastic runners down on the car and no furniture or anything. And I was like, I'm about to be murdered. (laughs) And and so I was like, hi. And he's like, well, you're going to want to try the pedal, right? And I was like, I guess so, right? So long story short, he didn't murder me. Uh, But it was deeply awkward. And I kind of didn't ask, like, why are you in this empty house? He had just this guitar and an amp and this one pedal. So I like played it for a second. I'm like, there's the delay, delay, delay. Okay, I'll take it. 
And then I kind of had to go to the bathroom and I was like, do you? And I was like, don't ask, don't ask. But I really had to go and I'm like, do you have a bathroom? And he's like, no. And I'm like, okay, I'm leaving, goodbye. And I just <laughs> out the door. And that's how I got my delay battle. <laughs> he already had a victim. You don't want to mess with that. Yeah, yeah. no, I think <laughs> maybe he just already had somebody in the bathroom. So kids, don't go Someone alone was already to pick up the... your internet purchases. Not, They're not all going to uh, turn out as happy as Harry and I. Yeah. <laughs> But when oh you, I God. mean, I don't know, if we, the guy opened the door and there were plastic runners on the carpet and yeah. no furniture. I was no, sure I had worked it, walked into an episode of Dexter at that point. I was thinking about that, too. <laughs> well, you know, awesome. me as a woman, I'm always thinking if I go somewhere alone, I will right. be murdered. Yeah. So yeah. I have a complete different, <laughs> I would never go anywhere. As a matter no. of fact, there was one time someone came to pick up a furniture. I had our fr- uh, mutual friend, Tyler knows him, Ryan says, who's actually in Wells, England on the phone, like as my video. And I actually told them, I'm like, my friend is on the phone, but you guys take that, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so oh, that was no. the whole oh, thing. Wow. Right. But yeah, so. Stay, stay safe, kids. Yeah. So now, we're, <laughs> so now <laughs> we're gonna jump into this massive pile of X-Men comic books. Our order of discussion today is going to be Excalibur, Wolverine, New Mutants, and X-Men. Let's go. To start off, I want to go around and just get our lightning round from the gut reactions to this Excalibur issue, starting with Tyler. Um, It is a good issue, supported by great art, in my opinion. I think Tini loves writing Betsy, and that's why it shows in this issue, because, you know, the other characters have just really big roles. So for me, it's 3.25 Wrecking Balls out of 5. I love it. (laughs) Harry. Uh, I thought this was a lot of fun. I really like kind of the focus on Betsy in this uh, alternate world and just sort of how just finding out what things are different. And then they introduce uh, an alternate reality version of of, uh, someone that she used to literally be, which was very interesting. And uh, I was like pleasantly surprised by how much I was locked into this issue. And uh, agreeing with Tyler, they are just really clean and nice. Uh, it's just like a pleasant book. It's like a, it's like how you feel when you walk into a room and there's like air conditioning that hits you. It's just like, yeah, this is nice. So is it like how many air conditioned out of five? <laughs> uh, you're right. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say three point five air conditioners, but very well made, a good quality air conditioners. So. Okay, free ha. Huh? So. I was on board with it, and then this is kind of like, you know, we always, I often talk about like, you know, when people write uh, deep cuts or like before mm-hmm. previous history, how it's like so weird. This is one that is written well, because I didn't need to know any of the other mm-hmm. stuff, but just, I can infer it and I could read it. It's the last page that really pissed me off. So I'm going to give it two crowns out of five. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I was I was ecstatic. If you remember to what we're talking about, what we were anticipating, I was like, I want some Betsy alternate reality nonsense in the last, yeah. next issue. I got it. Uh, past that, though, I feel like this book finally came together. Like all of these plot threads that have been dangling and dangling since before X of Swords, it just feels like they got paid off here. Teeny Howard made the whole cast feel like they work, even the members of the cast that were not Betsy. I think she gave us exactly what we wanted and not in the way we thought we were going to get it, which was a wonderful psychic knife twist. And so I would give this um, 
3.65 uh, sharp psychic blades out of five. <laughs> Tyler started a whole new trend that now we have to keep yes. track of every issue. Yeah, now we, we, have to, we have to keep doing it. Okay. Keep doing it. So, um, so the first thing that I think we have to talk about here is actually the framing sequence before we get mm. into the actual alternate reality, which yeah. is, you know, Pete Wisdom is just minded his business. And basically he gets this person storming in to be like, it's fine to have a Captain Britain, but that Captain Britain can't be one of these damn mutants. They don't say it in so yeah. many words. They're like, yeah. witch breed, this, this, and that. But but their point is partially a racist point, right? Of mm-hmm. Which is that it can't be a mutant. But partially, maybe a practical point that mutants have uh, allegiance to a totally different country. And is it double jeopardy for them to be Captain Britain? So what do you think about this, folks? And we'll start with Tyler. Is this is this logical? Is it racist? Where does it fall? <laughs> well, before even I get to that, the first thing I was thinking about when when I saw that page was that, oh, these Coven people just walk around everywhere wearing a red cape. <laughs> I know. I was like, it's like, <laughs> what, what's up with that? It's very obvious. <laughs> yeah, isn't it supposed to be something that is a little bit secretive? Like, you know, that, but then everyone is walk, walking around with a cape. It's like... And it's not even like it could be like a trench coat. It's, it's like literally Zach's no. cape from when we did the Mr. Yeah. Sinister episode of, of X-Men Report. Like, it's just a velvet cape. I know. <laughs> but there's a very pronounced collar, too. It's not yeah. just the cape. It's like this other thing. Pointy. It's It looks like he... It looks starched, you know? <laughs> it's just... <laughs> well, I mean, um, he's a witch. He has a spell for that, you know. He's yes, not at the exactly. iron board. Yeah, fair. I mean, I, I do agree that it, it there is a little bit of um, you know, uh, racism or uh, in in this in 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 this the way he phrases it, and I, I think um, it is meant to be done that way because and also because they don't use the term mutants. It's like oh, you know, uh, witch breed or something like that, mm. um, and. <sighs> Um, definitely there is that sense there that, you know, this is bias and this is like, you know, I, I, I mean, even if you're British and mutant, I'm not going to be like 100% approving of that. And we did see certain, a sliver of that, um, I think in an earlier issue of Excalibur where uh, Betsy was walking out of the Buckingham Palace and people were protesting. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. oh no, you know, you are we you are not our Captain Britain. You know, we want our Captain Britain back. Brian well, the human. Well, not to and we don't have to go too personal if not, but Tyler, there are some countries in our current real world where you can't be a citizen of another country while you're a citizen of yes. the other. I mean, should should Captain Britain be like be like that? Like you, you can't have citizenship elsewhere. Your primary directive <laughs> is to be Captain Britain. I, I don't know. I mean, I I believe you can be a person of two countries, and mm, um, I do too. You know, and I I don't see um, a question of allegiance unless, of course, um, I mean, maybe in 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 allowing that you have to you have to say that oh. If these two countries happen to go to war, you have to make a choice. Mm. Freya, uh, a woman of three countries, at least, mm. that we know of. Yes. Mm. yes. That we uh, know of. <laughs> <laughs> what, what is your position on that? So this whole thing is like, oh, uh, she can't be because I, I personally think it's just out of pure racism. Okay. And then they're trying to justify their racism yes. so they don't come off as racism, racist. Mm-hmm. So it kind of comes off as that. And to me, I 
don't agree that you know because the thing is like you can do both things and yes maybe if there is a like you know but the thing is krakow is never going well we don't know that but what i'm saying going to say though is like what is captain britain to britain like that's my so maybe i don't know that but it's just like are they just a symbol of britain or is there something more about that mm. because if they're just like a if they're just a symbol of britain then anyone who has british ties can be that person and betsy is clearly raised in britain she knows what mm-hmm. it is to be british so why can't she be that and so i don't know if it's like and krakowa didn't exist for a month ago so it's not like something like she's just all of a sudden stop being british so yeah. from yeah. that point of view it's like it wasn't that oh she was krakowan before and then she became british but she was british before so the thing is the fact that this is being brought on for her it's a pure racism harry anything you want to add there no, that's exactly what it is. It's the kind of thing where they're raising like a if you squint, like maybe valid questioner point, it, but kind of falls apart. Exactly. It's that kind of like the more quiet racism with this. <laughs> like, I, I, I think like in this moment, I realized how ridiculous this like walking, like bearded cloaks man in a suit is yelling about mutant racism. This is a bizarre character. Uh, but um no, I mean, I think it's an interesting kind of plot point where it draws in Pete Wisdom, but like, you know, he's clearly there. I don't think you've got to op- uh, approach these people in good faith. And I'm clearly, I think he's just upset that it's a, a mutant Captain Britain more than anything. Not, and the thing is like, he also doesn't call them mutant. He keeps on calling them witch braid, which makes, which like drove me insane. And then it's, the thing is it's, like, like, it's like, Everything rolled into one. It's like a woman, Captain Britain. It's like a not Krakow one. Like it's like I'm like which like he can't focus on which one to be mad about. So he's mad about <laughs> it all and just calling her a witch braid. I'm like it's Ew. almost like imagine almost... Betsy in Quanan's body becoming Captain Britain. <laughs> that would be even worse. <laughs> Let's add well, some more layers well, to this. The f- the phrase witch breed is almost like how sometimes religious people can kind of mask tolerance and like phrases and religious things that they're comfortable with. Like, oh, this is just how this is like what we're used to. And this is how we speak. But like, it's oh, kind of like yeah. almost like a vessel for, for that kind of racism. Uh, this guy looks ridiculous. I can't stop looking at this dumb cape. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, and the, and the pen I'll put in this to move us on to the next point is at the end of the conversation, hilariously, he says, have I said something to offend you? <laughs> to be with him, which I'm like, like and wisdom is is so not offended but so annoyed that he actually yeah. decides that he's going to visit Krakoa and like P wisdom does not want to visit want Krakoa to. he's referring to it as that terrible Margaritaville which might be how I start referring to Krakoa <laughs> it's so funny and, and, but he's like gonna he's heading on down to Margaritaville because uh, he's that annoyed about this that he it's actually forced him to like take a side and acknowledge that he's a he's a mutant as well as British, yeah. which Pete Wisdom doesn't tend to go for. That's not really no. Pete Wisdom's mo typically. But before we get back to that, now let's talk about really the meat of this issue, which is what mm-hmm. is up with that cliffhanger we had of Betsy's breakfast in bed with Warren the Angel. And we find out that she got shunted into an alternate reality to replace that reality's Betsy, who happens to be the Queen of England. And in this reality, the Queen Betsy 
uh, has a wonderful grasp on how all of these alternate reality hijinks tend to happen. And she's already pre-written this memo to be like, do what you can to switch us back. And while you're doing it, don't give any details. This Betsy has seen Back to the Future. She knows what the rules are. And she's <laughs> like, you cannot tell them what's happening on the alternate Earth. And this, this takes up a lot of our issue. And we get a lot of revelations about this other world, Warren and Quanon, which then in turn ha- makes our Betsy have some feelings. So I think this is really what the bulk of the issue is about. Um, Tyler, what did you think about this whole set of plot points? It seems to suggest that um, Betsy and Quanon have to um, face each other mm. and you know talk about, or at least admit certain things that have happened you know, for however long this um, stretchy time is where Betsy was in Quanon's body. And um, what I do not understand is Betsy apologizing to Quanon because what's the point of apologizing to someone whom you did not wrong? I mean, she's in a different alternate universe. So I would say a little... Just reserve that for Helen's um, Quanon. Why? It's just, it's just fresh. Like she can't like turn it off. Like that is either it's a different reality. That is the face that I kind of not stole, but inhabited and what have you. Like it may just be harder to turn that off, even though like logically it's not the same person. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Freya, thoughts on that? So you, and- you don't have the backstory with Psylocke that we do. You've not read a ton of. Psylocke previously, right? No, I have not, but yeah. I kind of, I did read the wiki long ago. So, <laughs> <laughs> because I was very confused after reading Hallie and I'm like, who is he? Yeah. To what Tyler was talking about, what you were talking about, and like that this alternate Betsy wrote down the thing and then said that don't say any detail. But I was actually constantly thinking, I'm like, okay, even if she said details, what's going to happen? Because this is alternate reality. This is not alternate time. This is not a future jump. And to that point, it's like, yeah, when she was saying that, oh, I'm sorry. I'm like, why? <laughs> sorry to whom? Like, you know, this is, as a matter of fact, also that the, the uh, angel is now two-timing with a different Betsy. That's no, no, no. Some... Ex-wife. No, no, no. But the, he, this, this new reality Betsy, it's not his Betsy. Yeah, he's cozy, <laughs> cozy enough to our Betsy awfully fast. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, let's snuggle. With yeah, the... that's Any... Any purple hair is... It's good enough. Like, you know, that too... I was more shocked by that. I'm like, that's a good hell? point. <laughs> also... Like, like, what? He's, and, and Warren's... He cannot, hey, he's got a... Yeah. He cannot put a, keep a shirt on. No, like, he's got he a has, crazy amount of cleavage, a male cleavage. There's like a lot. Like, please... And then also, he says he's 90 minutes late for a meeting. He's a terrible CEO where he's just like... <laughs> Just chilling, and not even dressed, just in his bathroom. I, th- I had a couple of feelings that maybe were slightly a hair different than a few of yours. Mm-hmm. What, one of which is about the apology thing with Quanon, which first kind of bugged me in the way that it, it bugs some of you. But the way that I saw it here is like, Betsy feels like she was left with less in our reality. And she decided to be Captain Britain because she was left with relatively little even though she regained her original body. Mm -hmm. And in this reality, she realized that the body shift hasn't happened, but she's 
still taken something from Quan An, which is Warren. Now, we don't know how their relationship ended and why she's his ex-wife here, but it almost felt like Betsy wanted to, by proxy, say something about that that she's pretty sure the Queen of England would never say. You know, and that's how I read it. She was like, I know that this is not the apology or the, the words that I have to have with my Quanon, but I can say a thing in this reality that that this Betsy probably can never say. And I thought that was kind of an interesting dynamic, even the Quanon was like, shut up, get through the portal. Uh, <laughs> well, now that I, you say it. I, I approve of this. I'm gonna use like an, I'm gonna accept this. Yeah, this is this is canon now. I, yeah, I'm this is this is the explanation. Well, so, also, the other thing I'll just throw out there is yeah. I think it was great that Teeny Howard did this to give us our first Betsy Quanon team up. And they've like appeared mm-hmm. together before even going so far yeah. back as the 1991 X-Men series when we first really meet Quanon as our own character. But now, after everything that's happened, I think it worked here because we got to see how equal footing Betsy could be on with Quanon. Mm-hmm. Like she's good at the stealthy stuff. She throws her when she tries to grab her so that we don't, when we get to that inevitable conflict in our own reality, it's not just like, oh, well, you had Betsy totally job to Quanon, or you have Quanon totally job to Betsy. She kind of established it away from the battle board mm. of the main conf- conflict, and I think that was incredibly smart. That is a fair point. So I have a question about um, one particular scene. It might be nothing, but um, as Betsy was looking out the window with a cup of tea, there was this sound effect thing in the cup, and then a close-up of the cup, I don't know what that is or what that's supposed to represent. Like, it, is yeah. are we supposed to think that something hitchhiked back with Betsy from the other, um, you know, from 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 this Queen Elizabeth three universe? Yeah, the close up of the cup. I was like, is that supposed to be like the psychic butterfly? Like, and it, I don't think it was. But what was that yeah. symbol? I thought it looked like a sword, but I couldn't think of like what particular what, what particular mm-hmm. sword. Now that we've had so many. But uh, yeah. Do you think it's maybe just like a reading tea leaves moment, and the and it was supposed to signify something like the mutant machine of them all like linked together? I was I was counting, and there were seven. Do you think? What do you think, Freya? Is there anything to this? Setter dive is in the tea leaves. I don't know. I mean, you know, British people have their teas. Who knows? Who knows what was going on there? And these are royalty. And these are royalty. So it's just a British thing, I guess. Yeah, it's just a British thing. Ting. Uh, <laughs> yeah. no, no, up on the tea. That's the thing. Yeah, no, it's I, very obvious. Yeah, yeah, and you know, it's like we we have a plan for experience. Yeah, like it just. I mean, I didn't think more about it. I just thought that this was just a theme transition. Okay. Could be a snowflake. (laughs) I don't know. So so to the other half of this plot, we, Wisdom, arrives in Krakoa being like, all right, fine, I'm going to come through your darn gate. Only to find the rest of Excalibur moving out of Krakoa to the lighthouse. Now, the last time we all saw them, they're in a freaking field doing a magic spell with Megan. Like, I kind of had this like, whoa, like, where are we right now? As he encounters them, and he, and they're telling him, "Don't go to Otherworld." When they just came from Otherworld, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I think we could also, in addition to digging into this, pause for a second and talk about two things. One is that is the art because I love the models that Toe is using for these characters. I think he might be my favorite Jubilee at this point. Like I'm, I'm just willing to say Toe's Jubilee is my favorite. I don't know any any art thoughts you want to log in at this point before we dig into story. I love the art; it's really That's... good. 
I was about to say Jubilee. Art. He draws a great Jubilee. Yeah. It's really funny and, and um, expressive, the faces. I, he, I thought it was really well done. He draws a great Pete Wisdom because I don't really know much about the character, but I just <gasps> read every... I'm sorry. And I've read every <laughs> issue of Hellblazer in the last week. So I'm like, oh, it's Marvel's Constantine. You read all At least 300 that's... issues of Hellblazer in a week? Yeah, I did. <laughs> where's the, where's that night. content? Let's we gotta, <laughs> <laughs> turn it around. Yeah. No, but I was like, oh, no, this he, is clearly like Marvel's Constantine mutant. It's interesting. I think it's, it, it worked for me a lot better. I think like mm. he's he's appropriately kind of scruffy in this. He's kind of haggard. Like it, it, this, it clicked for me more now that I have our context. Oh, he's 100%. He, no, he's 100% Marvel's um, Constantine. And that's one of the reasons he can't, like, you know, cannot get, like, a series going because people are like, this is Constantine. What are you trying to do? So, <laughs> I, I love that he's, like, the British government Constantine. Like, yes. it's a, it's yeah. a, it shifts the um, perspective of it's a little British, bit because he's right? not the, the magic guy. He's always kind of like, oh, I'm in the freaking s- secret service. It's so yeah. freaking stupid. Like it's, it, but it's the exact same way that Constantine talks about magic, but right. it just so shifted they, over, you know, to a different context. And he ends his scene so well, where he's like, they're offering him like the lay, and he's just yeah. like, get away uh. from me. <laughs> just uh. like he's like, he just hates being on Krakoa. It's super funny. And Toe <laughs> to, to draws the kid with this little sad face. Yeah. <laughs> and the, oh, it's great. Like I, I, that's just so me though. Because I'll be like, you know, like, especially kids approaching me. I'm like, oh, get away, get away from me. I know he looks like actually scared. He's like, ah. Yeah, get away from me. But no, I mean, the art over here is actually a little bit better than, like, it's more, it's better than average. Like, you know, you have your average Marvel house style. And then I was, as I was looking through that, I felt like this was far and beyond. And, you know, it was not, not any of the other big names that we talk about, but this is Mm -hmm. different. And, you know, this is like very cleaner and fresh. So I I thought, I mean, I I always say that if the art, I don't recognize art unless it's good. So (laughs) I recognized it, it's good. It's But I did get a little bit confused by the gates though. Because- Yeah, the perspective was a little funny in that whole scene. And I forgot that the gate to Avalon was actually created um, right outside the, the, I mean, right in, in the, in the lighthouse. Mm-hmm. Because I kept thinking, wait, where are they? Why are they carrying boxes when they say they are moving to the lighthouse? Are they in the lighthouse or are they on Krakoa or, you know, and so, and then the other thing that I, I was thinking of is that, oh, so Helions went from Krakoa to the lighthouse and then from the lighthouse to Avalon. And then when they came back, they came back the same way. So Avalon to Lighthouse, Lighthouse to Krakoa. So, and I mean, to Tini's credit, she's like, oh yeah, those two gates are very close to each other. So (laughs) you step out of one, you can go into the other one. I think that was maybe the reason why they did it that way. Yeah, I think the one negative I had is there are a couple of points that at that point, especially especially when Rogue is halfway through the gate and she's reaching back through, where I just needed more establishing panels in the larger space. I think it's something that we've seen both Laraz and also Kassara do really well with the gates is they know to pull back a little bit to let us know where the gate is in the space of the room so they can then do the tight shots. And I think that Toe, to me, draws great backgrounds and environments and stuff, but he's very much like a character animator to me. That's the way I look at Marcus Toe's art. And so in this instance, I was like, ah, he, he did kind of miss giving us an establishing shot that would be wide enough to understand 
where the people were in space. So it wasn't a deal breaker. It didn't make me dislike the art, but it just was like, mm, note, note for future. <laughs> yep. Well, you know, I think the only thing left here is kind of the big conclusion, which, yeah. you know, we have intercut. Betsy and Quanon gets to what the lighthouse was. Betsy is surprised to realize it's not a literal lighthouse in the other reality, <laughs> even though it's always still the kind of the weak spot in the reality fabric that'll let you jump through the other world meanwhile the the um what are they the red cape which the Clan. legions they don't like druids <laughs> cool, they don't akaba. like witches are they akaba right but yeah, not like akaba. but like convert converted akaba akaba yeah. who've drifted there's the there's no longer <laughs> following ap apocalypse right so it's, it's a different akaba a and and, and group and I was like, why Why do they need to bring a wrecking ball to go into the white lighthouse? I mean, those, doesn't the lighthouse have a have a door or window or like, aren't, aren't they supposed to be magician? So why, why do they need to drive a wrecking ball all the way up to the lighthouse to punch a hole into the lighthouse? I don't and know. the roads are actually kind of like, it's not all well-made road right to the lighthouse typically that's what so, i think is not yeah so yeah they have it like, like perched driving. right on the edge of the cliff like that's right not that it's just like how did you drive there but anyway <laughs> well also so the other thing that stuck out to me in this scene is basically the other x-men are like oh non-lethal and richter's like again playing this two countries theme richter's like screw that i'm a druid now too and we don't have rules about not killing humans and they're trying yeah. to kill us which again i think like you know this stuff is these are deliberate choices this whole mm -hmm. issue is howard writing about people who have two facets to their identity betsy just as betsy with the betsy and quanon split betsy is a mutant and a, a british person uh, the same for wisdom and now we're getting this idea of you know richter as a mutant and also starting to identify as a druidic and that he doesn't have to only follow the mutant rules which it was a, a quick moment but i was like i love a comic book that actually yeah. has thematic elements it makes me happy yeah. And Richter's also like a blue daddy acolyte now, so... <laughs> he, he also he stands just... for the big guy. Yeah, yeah, he also stands for that. So this is kind of where I started losing it, though. Oh, because okay. this, Because I was like, okay, there was this all this build-up of, oh my god, where is Betsy? And we're going to search for Betsy. We went to the other world, but then we're yeah. not in other world. Right. We're, we're moving, apparently. Apparently it's moving day in Krakoa. And then there was also anti-cat sentiment by Jubilee. How dare she? We have to. We have. To I know. Yeah, but that. she can't. She doesn't like poop in the box. That's oh, better please. than what dogs do. <laughs> yeah, like I mean, uh, please. And then there was all of that. Team and cat. then, like, yeah, who team would be mad at this guy? Come oh, on. Exactly. Look at look at Wait. look at her. Look at this. Am, little am girl. I the only dog lover here? Yes. I love dogs. <laughs> oh no! I have two. I have two parts of my identity. I like both. Okay. But... Yeah. Um, and then yeah, doing all of that, and then well, guess what? Betsy's here. Case closed. Yeah, well, I just don't understand what no, no, happened no, 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 with no, no, all no, that no. other world stuff. Like, it feels like we missed an issue. What happened? No, no. The the, the other world stuff. They basically summon the rest of the uh, Captain Britain Corp. Right. Instead. And then what? Instead of and instead of bringing what? back. No, and then they, and then the the Captain Britain will say, okay, we'll try and search it for you. Oh. So the, yes, there is no continuation from that threat. But my question is this: we do not know that the Betsy that's that walked out of the water is our Betsy. Oh, you think she's Queen Betsy? Oh. Yeah, because be, be, the way I'm thinking of it is this way: um, there are nine bodies and ten 
Betsy's. Because one of the Betsy body got destroyed in Otherworld by by Saturnine, you know, she got like turned into this into glass and shadows. Mm-hmm. So it's like musical chair, right? So so now maybe Betsy has gone out of the body of like the Queen Elizabeth and and then Queen Elizabeth got pushed back and the body got transported mm. into um six one six. We don't know. I because that sounds is it awesome. A, is it a because musical chair? Musical yeah. body chair. <laughs> That's what I was thinking of when I... when I was trying to come up with an analogy of analogy of what I'm thinking of. So I... so that's what I'm thinking. So because there's only one one word balloon, which is help, and they say that oh it it, it feels like someone we know, but you know they are mm. all Betsy, so they all feel like someone they know. Oh, you, you don't know who that I is. I really hope if, you're right. That's awesome. If, if that is the case, I'm in, in upgrading mine to four crowns out of five. <laughs> <laughs> because the, because the thing is like I was actually I was very annoyed by that it's like okay there was the, all this hoo la la about like oh my god where's Betsy I'm like and it's gonna be solved after two issues that's just so weird and the thing is that I want to see that you know Betsy going from being shot from one reality to another to another or something like that I was kind of gearing up for that I love alternate reality stuff so and then it's like help I'm like oh like so but if that is the case Four out of five pounds. I, I agree. Yeah, the ending doesn't have a lot of punch because it is just like we got her. But if you're right that like Tyler, that like there is some kind of variation where she's kind of hopping around, that sounds great. Like I'm kind of getting more. In- I really hope you're right. I'm getting into this. But I'm also very scared now. It's like my soul has suddenly started hopping around from realities to realities. <laughs> this uh, is gonna because, be a new phobia. I mean, the 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 reason why I thought it was like. <laughs> <laughs> the only reason why I thought it was like this was because the next issue, the Krakow verse, is who's there? Oh. Who is there? Who is yeah, there? Yeah, who's know. there? Uh, <laughs> fine. So now that Tyler has totally blown our minds I know. with the with the re- the different reading of the ending, does anybody have any small thing they want to pull out that we have not already just discussed here about Excalibur number 17? Um, One name. Alexande uh, Stewart, which was the I mean they they have she's like the director of the <laughs> Queen E, uh, Queen Elizabeth three um that King James Memorial Intelligence Center director, which was kind of like a deep cut into like original Claremont Davis, uh Excalibur run. I want Pete Wisdom to be in one series full time. I love it. Whether it's Excalibur, yeah. whether it's X Force, he should be in X Force. To be honest, no, because I think he, he should just he should just join Marauders and or and that. I, I don't, I don't, or Hellions even. I don't know. Give him anything. <laughs> like you know, I just I want him to be full time in one team book. More than anything, it was more the show. But I I really liked uh, Peter your point about kind of like uh, Richter and all these characters having different. Uh, having two identities and kind of figuring out their place with them and what have you. I think that's a really nice thematic thing and I I hope it continues. And now that I said it out loud, I I find myself like looking at the other characters like, well, gosh, Rogue, you know, who was her herself (laughs) and Captain Marvel for all these years. And then like, you know, what can we say about Jubilee's identity? She was a mutant and a vampire. She's, you know, this young orphaned woman and also a mom. And, you know, Gambit is a sleazebag and also a thief, you know, like... uh, (laughs) Okay, maybe not him. <laughs> no. What is this anti-gambit 
propaganda over here. It's an anti-Gambit <laughs> world, I think you're going to discover. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's an, the reality has an anti-Gambit yeah. uh, bias. But anyway, I, I guess I just kind of found myself wondering, like, has this really been... we was Did we think the book was about magic and we're getting bored with it when really it's been about identity all along? I guess is my closing now i gotta reread this whole series but. oh no <laughs> free well, will not actually no to be honest though now that you say it the the oversized hardcover is actually up for pre-order next mm. month yeah. so maybe. get in there folks mm. so for wolverine number nine as we do let's start with our initial reactions and then we will dig in more deeply to everything about this issue tyler what is your gut reaction on wolverine number nine I was dreading this issue after the mishandling of Wolverine's characterization in recent issues from um, Percy. But I'm kind of glad that Wolverine is slightly more in character here. Maybe because he had he hardly had to interact with anyone in this issue. Um, Cooper's art is always good, in my opinion. And uh, in this case, it is also good. It is not his best art, though. <laughs> so I give this 2.5 Zionite 2 out of 5. Wow. Here we go. <laughs> Harry, what is your right. opinion here? So like Tyler, I have not been anticipating this issue one bit. So it might be because of those way lowered expectations. But um, I actually enjoyed this uh, a decent amount. I think a lot of that is because I think this is actually some pretty good uh, Qbert art. Um, you know, as, as of late, I think this is just one where I just really enjoyed the the art and kind of the pacing of it and just kind of the different setting. I don't really see Kubert draw this kind of thing a lot. And, um, you know, it, it, here I think Tyler might be on something where Wolverine doesn't really talk to anybody, which might go a long way. But um, it, it's still just really generic and the writing just doesn't really do it for me. I, I don't think there are any egregiously cheesy, like try hard 90s lines in this issue, which I think goes a long way. But um, yeah, so I would give it uh, I would give it 2.5 kingpins out of five. Just going to do characters. Okay. <laughs> I can't believe this is a thing now, but here, here we are. Freya, uh, what did you think of this issue? So I hated this issue. I'm going to just be out there because the issue fundamentally doesn't work. And I hate it when an issue, fun, like, you know, a story, I don't know whether it's, whether it's fiction or not, fundamentally doesn't work. Wolverine is the most recognizable face in the history yes. in the Marvel 616. <laughs> He's the tiniest man without any makeup, without any way to shape or form, to change him. They sent him as an undercover into an auction site where they had no idea who's going to be there or who's not. Freaking Kingpin was there. And like, how is he not recognized? So the fact that it doesn't work on the main premise level, I'm giving it half overing claw out of five. I thought the exact same thing. I'm like, <sighs> everyone here knows him. And he's like, not like <laughs> This is the this is the auction where his severed hand is being sold. And you think they're not gonna recognize him? Oh He's known as being stinky. He's known as being short. And then the doorman didn't recognize, I mean, come we're, on. We're gonna get into this. This is gonna be oh our first God. point of discussion because I, yeah. I do want to talk about this. So, <laughs> okay, so um, I to me, look, you've heard me say in past issues, episodes, 
that Madripoor to me just seems like the boring place you go when you don't have a plot for your comic book. Like it doesn't excite me at all. And on top of that, to go to Madripoor and then go to the most boring plot device of them all, the auction for random crap that supervillains want, which literally was just in another Marvel comic book like two weeks ago. I'm just like, there's, there's just nothing happening here whatsoever. It's like a bye week of an issue, but we still had to have it drawn and, and I think there are positive things about it. I do not think it's like a total loss because I think some things are interesting in the art and there's some character interesting things, but the primary story here, I I just could not roll my eyes any harder in boredom. <laughs> I want to start out from this topic, which clearly has divided yeah. the panel right from the start, which is this. If this was DC Comics, Superman would put on some glasses that look a lot like the ones that I'm wearing right now and nobody would know that he was Superman because that is the conceit of DC Comics because they truck a lot more in secret identities whereas the Marvel characters who have secret identities tend to more often cover their whole faces. Not all the time, but it's mm. generally thought of as a very DC trope, right? So I found myself also having the feelings for as having of like, you know, about the eye patch, But... Would would we say anything if this was Superman? And to the point of Freya, here, one of the top fans of Kamal Khan in the universe, she just wears a little domino mask. Doesn't everybody know that it's Kamal Khan? Like, do you have the same level of rage, Freya, about Miss Marvel that you do about Wolverine here at the auction? No, because everyone knows who she is. Everyone who's close to her, when she comes out to them, and they're like, oh yeah, we know. Like, they're always like, oh, yeah, we know. Like, she's the, she's the only one who thinks she has a secret identity. Most of the people who have seen her from far away don't know that. Like, you know, but the people okay. who she is close to always can tell she is Kamala Khan. That's one of the reasons I have so much problem with Saladin Ahmed when the mom forgot. But another day for that. Yeah. But then this is... So, eye patch is just not enough because he's also the shortest and the stinkiest human being or the mutant in the world. That's what my problem is. Like, yes, he's very distinct hair. Like, very distinct hair. At least it's like a back. And my yeah, thing is like, like to be clear... If, if yeah. you were in Marvel 1616 universe, you're like, oh yeah, that's Wolverine. Yep, that's him. Yeah. That's him. <laughs> in the same way, if we saw Tom Cruise, if like a short man running super fast, we'll be like, that's Tom Cruise right there. So... I don't, okay. I wasn't bothered by this. I wasn't, it didn't like change my, I just thought it was kind of goofy, but like he's also wearing, like Patch wears a white tux. Even like, that makes you even more conspicuous in a people dressing up nice. And I I just, I, 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 I hope that maybe Percy's just like, yeah, it just makes no sense and we're going with it. I can get on that level, but it was just, it was so odd, you know? No, I it hope is that odd. is though. But I mean, we, we sort of got, that part out of the way when we discussed last issue. Like, why are you sending Patch as mm -hmm. undercover to Medipore? Because everyone knows, in Medipore, kind of knows Patch is Wolverine. So that doesn't <laughs> make sense. And we, we sort of got it out of the way. But um, to, to some points is that I think Kingpin knew immediately that he was Wolverine. So, yeah. so I don't think I that think was... So. Yeah, so I don't, I mean, for me, I was like, okay, yeah, he knew. So, but the, um, and then, the Hellfire kids are there also. Yeah, but, you know, they're <laughs> kids. They don't recognize, all adults look the same to them. So. Yeah, that's true. Okay, <laughs> I would say, you know, no, fine. But, Anybody but, under the age of 25, they yeah. all just no, but, blend in. But, but, Ageist. But, <laughs> but the other thing I kind of want to point out is like, 
in the in in that in that um splash page where you have all the different characters like and Wolverine is walking up to the bar to 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 order drinks. There is another Wolverine on the lower left. Yes. The cup. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so so that means that's how his his patch persona might work because there is another oh. Wolverine there. <laughs> who is that? Just two over. Hubert's saving saving it all. For us. Like who is that Wolverine then? Oh my god! Now my mind is blown again. Oh, Tyler is blowing my mind this week. Wow, you're really everything. bringing it, man. Yeah, now I love this issue because I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. But, but at least that, that's probably solved now. I'm like, okay, what the hell? Uh, <laughs> yeah, so you know, people do. <laughs> Well, you know, if I, I, I mean, I don't care a lot about this particular topic, if I'm being completely yeah. honest, but I think the way that in my head it works, just so I don't bang my head against the screen as I'm reading mm -hmm. this, is that Patch is such a specific, iconic figure in Madripoor that it's almost like he, he's equally iconic to Wolverine. To us, Wolverine is iconic because he's Wolverine, yeah. but in Madripoor, it's like, it's Patch. And it's yeah. almost kind of like, yeah, I know, I look like Wolverine a little bit. <laughs> I don't know, because I don't remember enough. I have, I have to get to that in my reread. I'm pretty close yeah. to it. But I, I don't know. That's how it works in my head, that they just think mm -hmm. it's funny that Patch looks like Wolverine. That That's yeah. my read. But Maybe. let's get out of Madripoor for a second. I think the the most interesting thing about this issue is the time it spends in flashback to Wolverine and Maverick and Sabretooth on Team X. It introduces this really nice concept that Wolverine and Maverick are kind of the keeper of each other's soul mm -hmm. because they don't want to become Sabretooth. And Sabretooth lives for this kind of resetting, this kind of factory reset they get between missions because it just lets him be as violent as he wants to be. And there's this implication, never, I don't think, totally on the page here, is that maybe that's what enables the saber tooth we know today. Like if you let somebody kind of come out of the gate and be cruel so many times in repetition that it leaves a mark on their soul and they become crueler always. Even though we know historically he's always been that cruel, but just stick mm -hmm. with me here. And yeah. Wolverine and Maverick kind of say to each other, I'm not gonna let you slip away. And even though we've seen a lot of, about their partnership and their teamwork in the past, I just think this hit a lot different than a lot of past Wolverine stories. This is a little bit less like bro code, so soldier code, and a little bit more intimate and emotional than that for me. I don't know. Tyler, what did you think? Yeah, I mean, on that point, I really think that um, it develops the, um, the, the friendship between these two characters a little bit more. Um, in terms of in terms of placing it where in in his history, um, the data page mentioned Professor Professor um, Thornton, and that is the Weapon X guy, mm -hmm. right? So so it has to happen around that era. Um, I'm not familiar. I don't remember anything about Team X, even though I think this is something which has been created before. So um, yeah, so I I couldn't place it very well in terms of the timing but um yeah but i i i i enjoyed this um you know this relationship between uh maverick or this added layer of relationship between maverick and wolverine yeah i feel like percy is trying to get into some more like male intimacy or more and more intimate like kind of friendships and relationships with uh in his books it's just like with the other the uh the the agents and the other issues it doesn't really yeah. land because they're just spouting like 
try hard lines back and forth but like this this works better like i would i kind of wish the issue was more about like the flashback between him and maverick it did actually reach like my my interest was peaked i was like okay i want to see more of this rather than the 200th villain auction this uh week you know so i wasn't sure like what time in his life this was happening so like this whole thing with Wolverine and seems like you guys are also unsure about that because to me it's like if he already developed this method of trying to hold on to some memory or trying to hold on to some level of soul he doesn't seem to use that very often like why not use it more often with other people like you know he's just like this was just a one person that he had this with I don't know. I mean, did, did is this the first time he ever had this like code with another person so they can wake each other up? I mean, there's a hunt. There's a thousand Wolverine stories yeah. that flash back to I. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I mean that's one of the reasons. Just because I read maybe too many mm-hmm. Wolverines, so I'm like, oh, it's just another one of those. This bro, he lost. Mm. But in this flashback sequence, I think Sabretooth asks a really interesting question that is relevant to um, Krakoa today. You know, it's like he's saying that it's their redemption for people who had done atrocious things in the past, mm. but has a change of heart or realignment of moral compass, right? I mean, we have characters, we have villains who are living in Krakoa, who is like, you know, I mean, Darkern is one, um, you know, one example of, of such a character, right? So, you know, I mean, he asked that question. I mean, he didn't ask the follow-up question is <laughs> as in like, you know, if... If 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 there is redemption, how how would how should they redeem themselves? So you know, I, I I feel like that was quite an interesting thing to put in here because um, because of who is living on Krakoa now. Oh, maybe Gra- Gabby is his call. Well, I mean, so, well, there. <laughs> so, I, so having having poked around in my own comic guide while we were having that conversation, mm-hmm. I think the thing that I that I'm willing to say is that generally, when they're having a flashback and they're in those black and yellow suits that they're wearing there, that is pre adamantium. Okay. Generally, mm-hmm. and that if they are not in the black and yellow suits, but they're still hanging out with each other, then that is post adamantium. And I'm sure someone in the comics comments like Ray or one of the people who really knows continuity really well will probably correct me. But yeah. that that's where I'm right. going to begin with this explanation. So now coming back to our auction. What do you think about all these things that are at the auction? Black Widow's tooth, Spider-Man's tombstone. <laughs> you know, that's from Craven's Hunt, right? Last yeah. Hunt, right? I mean, yeah. some of them are ostensibly a little bit useful because you can like get some DNA off them or something. Yeah. But... Um, but what do you need? To, who needs Spider-Man's tombstone? I mean, nobody's kill, killed him. Yeah. Nobody's done it. So it's not a great trophy unless you would just mock Craven, right? The one I liked was, um, you know, you've got like the tooth, you've got the tombstone, you have a goblin glider. Not even like an important one, just a glider. A I feel like there are many of those, right? Like there's been several goblins. Oh yeah, goblins. they like hand them out like candy. Yeah, I... Uh, I don't know. It's it's, it's whatever. I'm kind of curious where Wolverine lost his hand. Maybe you guys could fill me in on yeah. that. But um, I don't and know. that and apparently that hand has adamantium in it. Mm. Yeah. Um, Some people were I, speculating if it was an old man Logan hand because he does get a hand cut off at one point in his run, mm. um, and he it was in Madripoor, I believe. If anybody has chosen to retain the memories of reading that run, 
I have not. Um, which uh, which round was that? Was that Brisson or? <laughs> I think yeah, it was the Brisson half after Lemire okay. stepped away. Uh, yeah. But but the thing is though, it's I feel like if we are going by that Percy's just being goofy in the story and then having like an old timey co- comic, uh, what you call it, wander back into it. Uh, these artifacts make sense in that sense because these are just random stuff that you just throw in versus mm. a hand you can grow your own Wolverine from. But seriously, why didn't a Wolverine grow out of that? How did that work? <laughs> How do you stop? <laughs> Where does it end? Where does it end? <laughs> because it doesn't have the other half to combine. Mm. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Uh, There's no one just carrying him around like that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> So we this, end... re... Oh, go ahead. No, please, go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say, we end here with Wolverine basically saying, uh, this is unacceptable, that he, you know, and breaking free. But before that, the point that's made is that Maverick is so much more functional than all of these other things that are for sale here because Maverick is a mutant. And a mutant is a key to if you want to f*** with Krakoa. Um, and so if you want to get in on all this Krakoan nonsense, you want a key. And what better key than a covert op agent who's been brainwashed and also can get you through a gate? I think this is a good example of an outgrowth of X-Force plots, which is seeing mutants commodified in a way that could be weaponized against Krakoa, which I don't think we've seen in a lot of the other titles, but we certainly have seen in X-Force. Thoughts on that? This is one part I liked, and that's why the point have claws, because that was that was very like, you know, I thought that was like a very scary threat that not enough, like, you know, it's not being talked about enough. You know, mm. it just kind of keeping keep happening in like, oh, X-Force fight of the issue kind of way, but rather than the implication. But at the same time, I was also thinking, how are they going to do it? Like, everyone hold on to Maverick, and we're just walking through the gate. I thought that was a very well, funny visual. Well, they can't. That's not how the no. gates work, right? They <laughs> yeah. would just bounce yeah. off of the gate. Yeah. So, so it was like a false advertisement. It's, it's a false advertisement in a way. Uh, but at the same time, um, his design looked a lot like Deathstroke from DC. You know, because maybe because of the gold, the way he was. Like, it was, I don't know, it just reminded me of that in a way. But... I was like, yeah, but I, I was kind of like freaking out about a human, the brainwashed human being sold. Yeah. Mm. Well, before yeah. even, I mean, there's also this scene where the Xeno guy, the man with the peacock tattoo, picked up uh, the bloody handkerchief that Wolverine, with Wolverine's blood on it. So Cut. I don't know what he's going to do with it, but um, it is also established in Wolverine 1 that Wolverine's healing power will not last when his blood exit him like his body doesn't just produce it his body is also the vault Mm. so so in some ways i mean yeah they got his dna but then they could have gotten his dna anywhere i mean he's probably shedding hair all the time all 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 over the place so maybe i'm looking yeah (laughs) this is just i'm just looking at that page where uh he picks up the um handkerchief uh yeah Wolverine totally just took Kingpin's handkerchief and threw it on the ground. Like that's kind of rude. Like <laughs> he gave you that out of out of friendship, and you just tossed it on the ground. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> He's like, I know who you are. 
And then he's like, oh. <laughs> You can afford it. So it ends with Wolverine proving that he's bad for these covert operations, basically jumping <laughs> up on stage, you know, like my story about me at my wedding in the last issue, uh, and, and stopping the proceedings. And, uh, and of course, he's in this huge room of supervillains, and Maverick may or may not be on his side, but he's trying to break him out, and that's where we leave things. And that's where we leave things. So does anybody else have a small thing, such as the tissue or handkerchief, that they want to point out before we call it a day on Wolverine number nine? I know I said earlier that there were no uh, painful lines in this, but uh, at the very end of the data page, Wolverine says, talking about Maverick, but like every pretty boy, he only cares about one person. And that's numero uno. I can't see Wolverine saying numero uno. Is, is that just me? Like, I, I can't, can't see him saying pretty boy. Did you feel offended? Was he coming for you as a pretty boy? What, what was that? <laughs> hey, that's between me and my therapist. And we're going to figure that out later. <laughs> I thought no, you were going to say it's between you and your mirror. And you were going to work it out later. But that's not the therapist I'm secure. I'm secure. Yeah, no, it's... Uh, I just, I don't know why, I don't, I don't know why Percy writes them like this. I like, I was feeling so good about this issue not having, and I got back to this data page and I'm like, right, no, you can't help yourself. Like, I don't, oh, I don't want to be mean though. Oh, <laughs> uh, to that point, because I listened to you guys uh, talking about X-Force and how like, you know, weird, like toxic mess. Like this is also another one that like, you, like the, from the whole last data page, like you can't trust him with your wife, but you can't trust him with your life, kind of deal. <laughs> yeah, like what does what does this word mean, bro? That's something you find on a bumper sticker on the back of a truck, like that's. And you're from Florida, so you know. <laughs> I, I do. <laughs> right? Like, that's oh what, my god. That's what teeming with it, and I'm like, so then that's actually got me thinking. Look how many friends I have who are like that. You know, not necessarily you know still your spouse, but you can trust them with your life. I'm like. That's a weird thing. And then, you know, insane. I insane. Yeah. Then I was like, this is, I don't know. This is just a very weird thing that men use to kind of yeah. show camaraderie. But it's just like, ah, or camaraderie. Like, like, how do you say it? I have like, so many friends who are the opposite. Where I was like, I would not trust them for, with my physical safety for a second. But they're really, <laughs> I love when they hang out with, with my family. I, I love your emotional intelligence, but we're not going to fight together. We're not going to win. <laughs> yeah. like, it was just weird. I was like... Oh, and then, you know, oh. it breaks my heart because he did wrote a good Wolverine in the two podcasts that he wrote. And then I'm like, oh, who is that Percy? This is not good. So so for this week's uh, lot of books, there's another cringe in this issue when they pull out the Krakoa, um, you know, wire Earwax, from his ear. Yeah. He was like, Ugh. Ugh, that was gross. It, it's gross, but I thought it was really well drawn. Yeah, because I, just, because I yeah. laughed because I was picturing the other side of that scene, which I wish we got, which was yeah. kind of like Sage with like the feedback, you know, like in the movie when they step on the bug from somebody's ear and then yeah, the person yeah. in the van yeah. is like, oh, I was just in my head picturing Sage and Forge like around the computer going, ah, you know, and that to me was funny, even without seeing it. So I thought that was I think Cooper does a lot of things here where he doesn't. He draws with efficiency, especially in the flashbacks, but mm. a lot of the times like in the um in the auction too where he doesn't need to put in every little detail he puts the right details to catch your eye i think yeah. the earwax was a point of that i think the thing with kingpin noticing wolverine walking past was a yeah. point of that i think the other wolverine at the bar like kubert really is one of these thoughtful artists who's like and who knows maybe percy scripted all three of those things exactly yeah. how they are but i've read enough adam kubert where i think he actually is pretty clever in how he frames things to make sure that you can see that and the the thing that i would pull out is as dull as these 
um, auction type things are. I like when something else in the auction gets used against one of the other people in the auction. That's like the one little piece of joy. <laughs> yeah. And when the the old cowboy dude picks up the gravity gloves, A, I just got a little chuckle. But B, Cooper draws this great panel where he's like super foreshortened and it's the yeah. gloves really close to the... The panel almost looks like he's flying, but his feet are just really, really tiny on the floor below because of how heavy the perspective. <laughs> the perspective. And I'm like, yeah. that's, and, but even as tiny as his feet are, he has these cowboy boots with gold tips. And I'm like, <laughs> that is clever. And I, you know, whether Percy put it in the script, have him be totally shrunken so you can barely see the boots, but have them be cowboy boots with gold tips. Or if Cooper just did that on his own, like, I, this is what I appreciate in art and an issue. This is the stuff that catches my eye. Um, well, but that... I just want to say on a parting, I did not know that was actually a bug, uh, like, you know, a year thing. I thought that that was actually came up. <laughs> just straight up earwax. <laughs> and I actually accepted it because it's like, it's Wolverine, he's so stink dirty. And it's like, I just accepted it. And I was so sleepy, guys, when I read it yesterday, last night. And I'm like, oh no. And then now I'm looking back, I'm like... It was a bug <laughs> So you read that scene as two two uh two bodyguards had a really bad day on the job because they had to go pluck out someone's earwax. Yeah, they were just grooming him. <laughs> it's like when you have to wear a suit jacket to get into a restaurant. No earwax. All right. To get started, we always love to just have a go-round with our opinions from the gut and lightning round first. So New Mutants 15, Tyler, what is your off-the-cuff opinion here? Um, I really like this issue, even though there there were some odd scene transitions. Um, it is dense, but it is also a very satisfying read. Um, it connects not only to other titles during this era, but it also connects to past era. So making the scope like feel so much bigger. The art is a little bit rough in certain areas, but I still like it. So... Um, Four noogies out of five. <laughs> oh, dear Lord. <laughs> oh, man. Harry, what is your off-the-cuff opinion? I just like this book a lot. I am so pleased that just that with this new writer, this new kind of creative team and what have you, it just is really working for me. I think that, you know, it is getting into like just these nice, just fun character beats with a bunch of different characters. I do like how it ties in with other books. Now, I, I will agree with, with Tyler that... The art is a little rougher this issue, but for me, it's kind of like pizza. Like if it's bad, it's still good. Like it's not even, not even saying it's bad to be clear, but like, yeah, I just like, this just made me really happy when reading it. And like, I, I think it's taking a lot of characters that I haven't really read a lot and push, put, taking them in interesting places. So, and I, I love a good party and that's, this has been a good era for having parties in comics. So this was a fun one too. All right. Freeha. So, um, I absolutely liked this issue. Not necessarily loved, but you know, absolutely I really liked, liked. it. <laughs> that was an all-time swerve. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I mean, I was kind of going, I'm like, okay, I didn't love this. Come on, Priya. But didn't bring it down a notch. Um, I did like it. And it very much reminded me of Academy X, which I read between mm. like, you know, last year. Like there was like a lot going on with different characters. And then you were going from scene to scene to scene to scene. And there was like a lot of that over here. So it was very much reminded me of that. And uh, poor little Gabby, the one wants to mm. hang out with her. That broke my heart. Um, however, there's one thing, one issue that I want to discuss at some, uh, at, like, you know, at some point. So I'm going to give it 4.5 grieving mothers out of five. 
Oh, I forgot. I'm so sorry. I give it a four uh, anolis out of five. Oh <laughs> That's how you so, say it. So um, I, I think that this issue did a really impressive job juggling a really big cast in a way that a lot of the X-Men books have not recently. Mm. I mean, it's a lot. If we went through and named all the people who get moments and little pieces of development yep. here, it's huge. And I think it continues a lot of really great pieces of plot, which I'm sure that we'll get into from recent books. But And it also fixed some of the discontinuity that I had in the prior issue. Although, as with Tyler, I did spot a few points. But if I have a pet peeve for me, it is artists that do not finish drawing the faces of their characters. That makes a comic unacceptable to me. It's already in the trash can. I already hate it. So even though I think the writing was good, I can't even really give a reactive score to this because if you're not going to draw the faces of the characters, you didn't make, you didn't produce a comic book. It's not a comic book. It's kind of like um, when uh, you just get one thing wrong on the test and you automatically get failed, like they like didn't follow the instructions in a way. Yeah, it's like <laughs> right. on the first page. We zoom in on characters and some of their faces aren't drawn. I'm like, what is going on here? Is there like a missing Photoshop layer that I just don't have in my copy? So, uh, so yeah. Uh, so look, I think there is so many character beats. We couldn't possibly go character by character. We couldn't go possibly go beat by beat. Let's kind of start with the big and move towards the small here. Okay. So the big theme, which is not as foregrounded here as, as we maybe were led to suspect it would be, is Farouk, Amal Farouk, the vessel of the Shadow King, although not necessarily the Shadow King, is really influencing the kids at the same time that the New Mutants are training them. And mm -hmm. it's leading to some conflict among the kids, and it's really got its hooked on, on this new kid that we got during Ed Brisson's reign on this title, Cosmar, who is kind of very distorted visually in her bodily form, and also can kind of create distorted nightmares in the world. What do we think about this Shadow King influence, not only on the kids, but on Amul Farouk, who through the data page here, we are reminded is a separate entity from the Shadow King energy itself. Tyler? Um, I think that this is the rehabilitation of Farouk. Like it continues that theme. So we are, I think um, Vida is basically separating the, the King, the Shadow, you know, with 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 mm. with you know with Farouk, I think together they become the king. But you know, whatever. But you know, I think I think she's trying to separate those two to to start with, so that um, maybe at the end of this, um, they will just uh, write something where the shadow is being perched from Farouk, and 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 then we have this um, um, Farouk character, which will be rehabilitated some hmm. somewhat. That's my thought about that. But what struck me as really, um, I mean, kind of evident here is that Farouk is not secretive on the island. No. He's, he's, he's out in the open, basically. Like he was he was at a party. So, so <laughs> everyone knows he's there. And that struck me as really, really odd. Because I don't know if Krakoa would even accept him, um, given what he has done, you know, to date. Like, was there anything place, um, you know, I mean, because, because if you think back, Omega Red came in and they actually put him in a cell. But yeah. Farouk gets, like, to roam about anywhere he wants 
that seems a little bit odd to me. What's interesting is that, you know, Tyler, I love that like you're going to, we're kind of sticking with these different paths where I have, I read this issue thinking, oh, he's clearly up to something where mm-hmm. Farouk is like, I think, I'm not sure they're doing rehabilitation. I just think the way that like the art draws him when it's kind of closer up on his face, he looks aggressively sinister yeah. or evil. Now that could be, a, that could be like a, uh, a way to distract you or fool you. But I was under the impression that like, it's going to be more traditionally villainous. And I like that, like, I'm not sure. And it's interesting to see where it's going to go. Um, but I, about the Krakoa thing is that, you know, I, it doesn't really make sense though why some of these mutants are here, just considering all the heinous stuff they've done. But like, I, I think I maybe in, in the world, it's just like, Hey, we passed a law that says they can come in. We got to live by it. And, uh, We'll see what happens. I mean, I think in either which case, it's interesting now that he's here. And that's kind of like what I've been hanging on to when I think like, oh, does this make any sense in the world? Mm. Freya? So I thought that no one else can see him except for the kids. Like he only makes him, makes makes appearance in front of the kids. Like, you know, he's kind of hiding in the shadows somehow because Shadow King. Whoa. I don't know he's, this he's character in no, I know, but it's I, like I thought that it was something only the kids can see. Like you know, he's like making mm. himself known to certain characters. But I kept on thinking, I'm like, these kids have it tough. There's one way he's pulling their all their strings, and there's Exodus <laughs> with his Magneto religion that's in the other side of things. Yeah. Um, I don't know much about this character. This character, um, you know, I like don't have uh, so. But the thing is, like going back to it, uh, Vitala did a very good job of introducing element like you know i even though me not knowing any of the past i'm on board you know i kind of know that this is a very sinister character and something is up um but also uh farouk means it's actually a lot bangali people have that name it means someone who can distinguish between right and wrong huh so interesting now we know you can ask claremont if you ever meet him i mean i i will i'm like okay why do you choose this name but yeah, yeah so I mean, the thing is, though, it uh, the implication of what Cosmar ended up deciding to do is extremely sinister. And then the fact that it's coming from his manipulation, it's something to be said that the kids in this island are not being guided well. Mm-hmm. Like, and something, it, it's not, like the adults, are, they're too busy with their stupid election and their stupid councils <laughs> and everything. But... Uh, a lot is going on un- underneath that is mm-hmm. not good at all. The thing that it really made me think about, you know, I know a lot of fans can't really get over that there's villains on the island who've killed people, right? Like that's that's their yeah. objection. You know, people have crashed planes, caused earthquakes, mm-hmm. whatever. But for me, I've had so much more thematic difficulty <laughs> thinking about how there's people on the island, villains on the island, who really have had it in their number one interest to like disrupt everything there is about Xavier's dream. And like, Mm -hmm. how do you trust that villain on an island when they've tried to disrupt his dream before? To me, that's different than somebody being a mass murderer, right? Like you can maybe be like, just maybe don't be around people so much. But for somebody who's like (laughs) actually against, and you know, I think what's interesting here that is Ayala pushes away the definition of Shadow King from the definition of Farouk. It's like, well, Farouk was a mutant. We would invite him. And if we think the Shadow King is taken care of, 
why would we not trust him? And I think mm -hmm. that it's, I, you know, that was one of my big questions when we first saw him appear. I was like, why was he even in Empire X-Men? Why, why is yeah. he not even in the hole? But it kind of, I think it's just really deft. And I think that that to me echoes a lot of what's going on in this issue is that it's somebody who's like really put the thought into the why of these, some of these relationships, some of these interactions, some of these why should things be how they mm -hmm. are. And it's just so nice to be reading a book by somebody who's thinking about the why. I think if the group of us have had any kind of dispute overall with this era, it's like sometimes we just wanna talk about why things are happening the way they're happening mm -hmm. on Krakoa. And I think to bring it to something that all of you teased, we have Cosmar's decision here, rejected by Danny, that she wants to go, or I, I don't recall offhand if she's she or they will go with they just to be safe, if they want to go um, through the Crucible. And Danny yeah. is like, well, the Crucible's only for if your mutant powers are messed up. You can't go through it just because you want a cosmetic change to yeah. your body. But this is that's not necessarily an evil thing that Farouk no. has put her up to. She she got turned into a mutant, became this, in the same way that Beak became Beak. Um, but the mutant religion says, <laughs> go through the Crucible if you need to fix yeah. something about a mutant. It's not as interested with your physical form. Yeah. And so I just was like, Finally, like I've been asking this question since the X-Men first came back in House of X5 in 2019. And finally, we're getting to the heart of this. And it just made me like say like, wow, yeah. I don't know. So whether it's specific to Cosmar's situation or just in general about that attention to detail, what are the things that really jumped out at the, at, about this to the three of you? I mean, for, I'm, I'm not discounting that um, the Shadow King has influence here. He definitely have influence. I mean, as we've seen last issue, the kids became a little bit more violent as they approached him. Sure. So so definitely something is happening. And also, um, Warpath used a sentence that he used, that Shadow King used on Farouk, which is like, you are your brother's keeper. That two mm. sentence was like was used by Warpath and mm. in the data page. So, so there are influences that that is happening here. You just, I'm just not sure if, um, if this is the shadow doing it or Farouk, shadow pushing Farouk to do it or Farouk himself doing it. So there is this question mark that is being presented to us through the data page, through the glimpses of the history, um, of Farouk when he was a kid and doing good things last issue. So, I mean, that's where I'm getting at for, for mm. this. Um, as for the Cosma part, the Crucible part, um, I think it's really interesting because this question has been asked by Nightcrawler in X-Men number seven. Like, what is the protocol of someone who wants to be reborn better? Mm. Because he said in that issue that, you know, that well, some of the mutants have written wills that like, you know, I want to come back as something better. You know, like he asks, I think he asks Scott, like, what if someone's, someone's idea of being better is coming back with Magneto's body and powers? <laughs> oh, like and then... That. Be cool. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, and, yeah, so, so, so this, this is the connection that I kind of liked because it, it, it it makes sense. I mean, it makes sense to be asked here. I mean, it, it, in, in some ways, I think it makes sense because this is a, you know, hideous um, character 
by human definition, uh, as Danny puts it. Like, you know, she she, she she wants to look like a normal kid. And and her simplified thinking is that, well, if I die in the crucible, I can be reborn into someone, uh, into myself again. Yeah. And not stuck here. So I don't, I don't, I think it's a, it's really, it, it, it opens up a, a, a kind of grayish area. Mm-hmm. Like, what should you allow to do and not to do um, to go through the process of Crucible to get yourself reborn. Yeah, I mean, Hickman, you know, even in interviews, he's mentioned, like, we're not going to, he has things in his books that are raising questions, but it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be answered or explored. So it's mm-hmm. nice when you have books like this, where, like, Ayala, you know, their writing is, like, getting into the, the ethics and the ambiguity of, like, where does this land for each of the characters, which is, it's just satisfying to see it kind of move ahead of it. But to to me though, it's like Cosmer is an underage person. Like you know, they are an underage mutant. So mm-hmm. is that yeah. any different in real life? If a child wants to do something, have a plastic surgery, and should they be allowed to go through with it? You know, so it just it's kind of similar similar question. But the thing is, I think it all comes down to that these kids are not being. Uh, mentored properly or not being taught properly or not given a like a sort of like they're creating these clusters of like-minded echo chambers within themselves where they are just enhancing each other's childish thoughts in a way and there is no direction there is Mm -hmm. and it goes back to not having protocols not having you know any kind of direction for no, anything. No, no education, basically. Yeah, no education. Like I mean, we talked about it before, where is the school? And yeah. now we have some kind of school, but it's only teaching you how to fight, you yeah, know? So which it's is something- summer camp. It, it, it's, it is like summer camp. I mean, you know, I wish I went to a school which just taught me how to fight. Um, but, <laughs> you know, so it's just like my dream school. But the thing is like, it's not teaching kids any practical, uh, you know, understanding. More. And then there has been like Academy X that I'm, I talked about, there were a lot of talk about you are who you are and, you know, you have to like be like proud of your look, your power and all of that. But yeah, so this where there is a disconnect and it's kind of coming when there is an external influence that just there, it's just becoming going into very dangerous territory. Yeah. Why? Wow. There's so many things to talk about there. And, and that's part of what made this interest, issue so interesting and fascinating. So first, uh, Cosmar is identified by the pronoun she here. And the reason I bring that up for a few reasons is that there are actually a number of new mutants introduced here, some of which originated mm-hmm. in Ayala's mutant, or Prisoner X series during Age of X-Man, who are explicitly um, non-binary and trans mutants. And I think that that's something really valuable to have here on the island because it's hard to do these metaphorical stories about people who are having conflicts with their body, whether that's due to their gender identity or their dis- or some disability or anything, if you don't actually have that same representation in your cast. Cosmar's not... Um, you know, not representative of something that somebody could look like or experience in the real world. And Vida Ayala, as somebody who is non-binary, bringing that to the diversity of the cast of the book, I think is something really valuable because it um, makes the mutant metaphor not just a metaphor. And I think that that's, mm-hmm. you know, when you're having it all with able-bodied um, cisgendered characters all the time, sometimes the metaphorical stuff breaks down for to roll into my next point here, which is that the way the mutants are approaching the crucible and everything here, even looking at our discussion of X Factor, 
it's almost non-intersectional. They're like, we really only want you to address your mutantum. Like, we, we don't want to discuss how your mutantum associates with your physical appearance or with some pre-existing disability that you have or anything else about your identity that you may want to change or have a, a strong affinity to. We just want to treat you as a mutant. And, you know, that's not for me to make a lot of commentary on about how it works in the real world. Um, but I think that that's something really interesting about how different minority groups develop in the real world, where some of them are very identity focused about the identity of the minority, and some of them are more intersectional to say we want to take it into account your identity as well as all these other things. And again, I think Vida is a really good person to be writing that. And I'm just, that's part of why I love this. And I think, you know, to roll through the next round of discussion after that, I think we can talk a little bit about how that's affecting Scout and talk a little bit about Freya's point about who's looking after these kids because I really want to dig into that. But that was a lot of me talking. So I just want to see if anybody wants to go around on those points before we dig into the what about the children and the Scout stuff. I, I mean, that's so the thing is as a Muslim person, mm. there is a lot of that in the, within the Muslim community because in a way we are a victim of America. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in a lot of ways, like, you know, it's harsh, but it is true. Um, and there is also like within the community, it's, uh, there is no support. We don't have any support, you know, we right. don't have a Vatican, you know, um, our version of Vatican it hates other Muslim people. I mean, there's a lot of that too. Um, but even within the community, there is no support for LGBTQ. It's an exit of a consideration that doesn't exist. It's, there is no for transgender people. There is a lot of that things that are broken. You know, as long as you're Muslim, you are accepted. Otherwise, you know, who cares? <laughs> or no, you're not accepted, you know? So I think here it just seems like, at least in the mutant dome, it's like, because they're so, like the, the fighting level with humans about their mutant identity is so all time high, they don't even have time to think about all this other identity mm. that they have all these time. So I wonder now, because of all this, some of these things are being addressed or being taken away because they are now top of the food chain in a way, will come out or, you know, no pun intended, or like, you know, talk, being talked about. So it's it's interesting. I hope that that gets addressed, you know, in in coming issues or at some point in somehow. Harry. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's a great point. I do like that we're starting to see, you know, these different facets and identities and what have you be kind of become more focused on, or you know, this would be the time to do it with this kind of established setting. Um, Beyond that, this is more on the the art and, and craft level. I do love the moment where Cosmar is uh, is told no by Danny in the book because if you look at the page, like the um, the panel just goes to all she it's just a, a white background and the lettering's really cool where it just starts to fade away quietly and it, it makes me feel like those kind of moments when you're a kid and you you want something or you want an answer and you're very nervous and you get told no and it's just like you, your head gets filled with white noise almost mm. and i thought that was just a very strong beat i think that was done really well mm -hmm. no i agree i mean there are some parts of the art which was a little bit um stick uh, figure no it's, it's very rough around the edges and then there will be certain things where it was just the right amount of details and you know who it is because that's not important like 
you know, I just want to draw this guy, this guy there. Like, I just want to draw <laughs> Professor X and Magneto in the party, but they have no speaking role, so I don't have to fill up all the details. I just give you a little bit of a hint that that is Magneto and that is uh, Professor X, and and that's good enough. So I, I thought that part was done quite well, but um, but you know, and and these uh choices of the background fading and the words, the the dialogue fading is also done really well here. Um, and I think there's one uh, panel of Farouk looking absolutely sinister. That was really well done too. Um, yeah. But, you know, there will be, like Peter said, there are some scenes where the faces are kind of um, just non-existent. Like, I think there are a few uh, rain um, mid to far shot. I, let's not talk about far shot. Like mid shot where her where you have see you see her eyes but no nose no mouth nothing yeah. which was kind of weird so and I there think was like I, actually one place there's like only one eye like someone had only one eye and I wasn't sure if that like, Newton actually has one eye then I'm yeah, like that might be upset that's absolutely my thing here I think and a great yeah. example of this is just before that panel where Kazmar fades out to white during her conversation with Danny, there's this great wide shot of the party that's broken into the three panels and you can see them some other mutants in the background and one of them is Domino and her face is barely there and you just see the the highlight of her eye against her face. It's clear yeah. that it's Domino. I'm not saying that we needed every facial feature on Domino and that, that that's not my dispute. What I'm yeah. saying is that especially for this huge crowd of young mutants who have a ton of names who are all trying to get to know, who have different powers, some of whom look very similar to some some existing mutants. There's this, this little one that has pixie wings. Is it pixie? Is it some other mutant called Sprite? I'm like always, it's it's called Sprite, but that was Kitty Pryde's nickname at one point. Like I just, I, it's a lot of information to take in. And I think when you have primary cast members who are like speaking, who are fighting, like you got to let us know if they have one eye or not to free his yeah. point. And I think that that's where I really get stuck that in some of the confrontation, especially the page where Scout is kind of having her confrontation with all the kids on the team and none of them have faces. I was like, I don't even know who she's talking to here. So I don't, I don't want to come out as this prescriptionist who's like every comic has to have faces drawn a certain way. And I really appreciate the Bill Sinkovitz energy that Rice is bringing here, but I just mm -hmm. think it's a little too loose at points for how big this cast is. I think if you had a cast, of six characters and we knew who they were going to be in every single panel you could get away with this more because we wouldn't need to see them every single time but in some of these cases it's like the one panel where we get to read this person's expression and there's no expression and i think that's that's what i'm responding to um here whether that's fair or not i don't i don't know is it fair or no, not that's that's no, totally valid yeah i mean it, it it takes away from the storytelling i mean this it feel i don't want to assume but it feels a little more rushed than he usually yeah. has and i know that's a lot of characters mm -hmm. but like when you have people who look like you know just eyes and the tiny mouth they kind of look like terrence and philip from south park it's like <laughs> this this isn't like a full like this isn't exactly what we want you know so i mean he's he's still great to me but yeah those are moments that don't land as much as they should i think he took some liberty in the drawing in some cases because of the huge class. It's like, you know, these characters have no speaking yeah. roles. So let's not draw that's not too much draw, attention. At, yeah. Yeah. To them. And so <laughs> but but he, he did it um in some cases I think like you know Peter said, he he, he pulled back too much. So you get a, a hat with like no features and yeah. it, it really feels like it's really odd and and, and unfinished. 
So, I think um, I think we have three big more topics to talk about, mm-hmm. and they're all ones I really want to hear Faria talk about. So I want to make sure we don't miss any of them. So right. one is talking about Scout and and the for the children aspect. One is talking about Rain's history, which has a huge chunk mm. of recap of her X Factor plots, yeah. and one is just Doug's wedding reception now that he's married to Bay. All all, yeah. all great topics that Faria I okay. know has strong feelings about. All right, so, I have very Freya. strong feelings. But let's start with Scout. You, so Freya, you have the floor. <laughs> yeah, well, I want to, but I want to make sure we hit all three. So no, I want to start with with Scout. So Free has now said a couple of times, you know, when you don't give children guidance, when you don't give children guidance, that's how this art arc began. So on one side, we have kind of Cosmar, who is quite specifically under the Shadow King's influence to some extent mm-hmm. here. But on the other hand, we have Scout, who to this point, Scout's community has been Lara. Like, she was in X-Men Red, she's met, she's friends with Deadpool, but, like, Lara really is her community, and you get this real sense here that, like, nobody's really thought about what Krakoa means to her. You got that sense in the last issue, too, because they were like, well, clones don't, you know, we're not going to bring them back because she's a, they're a clone. Evan. Yeah. And she's like, I'm a clone. And they're like, well, not really. And she's like, no, really. <laughs> uh, and then they kind of just left it there. And I just feel yeah. like by, you know, Vida Ayala really cleverly uses X-Factor to make that point here by having a whole X-Factor scene of Dokken and Aurora, which could have been right from a Leah Williams X-Factor book. Yeah. But to use that to show that like Scout is basically going to Dokken to be like, you're the only person who even remotely gets me here. And Dokken's like, I can't do this right now. I'm trying to we don't know. We'll save that for an X-Factor. So, I don't know. That That's kind of what I bring to the floor about Scout. Like, Scout is another flashpoint here of the problem with not giving kids a community that acknowledges who they are and, and what their needs are. And let's now go to Freya. Uh, so, I love Laura and Scout. Like, you know, like Honey Badger. Honey Badger. Yeah, honey, like, like, uh, like, you know, uh, Wolverine, Honey Badger, like the whole run, and then mm-hmm. Mariko Tamaki's uh, X23 run, where, like, you know, she, suddenly she was the one, like, Scout. So does she go by Scout now? Or she yes. goes by Honey Badger? She goes by Scout. Okay. Scout. Okay, okay. So, like, you know, she was, like, very, she's actually started to become someone different, like, more than Laura, like, you know, more right. than Laura's little clone, you know, she, mm-hmm. because she actually started having opinion, and she's like, what do you mean you're going to kill this person? You know, yeah. it's just like us. So there's, and now, and, but then again, they, two of them were living in that apartment together, and they had, you know, Jonathan. Where is Jonathan? Where is Jonathan? <laughs> yeah, Jonathan is also gone, and Laura is yeah. stuck in this thing, and now she is just all alone. My heart absolutely broke for her for her yeah. like last week like last month when i read the whole thing i'm a scout like i'm a clone i yeah. actually started crying i'm like she is a clone oh. <laughs> and now this I, like and yeah. she's going from people to people like going to dakin like the only other person she knows is like her in a way mm-hmm. and then wolverine is in Bantripur in some auction or in the sea we don't know which where he is like <laughs> you know so <laughs> So then now she's just like going from people to people and no one wants to be like no one understands her in a way and no one wants to be her friend. It's just so mm. sad. It's and my, I'm pretty yeah. sure she's not the only one, but she's the one it's, that it's you're very, seeing. It's, it's a very um, common thing, right? Because you, when you're growing up, you try to find your community. Right. And, exactly. you know, if you're lucky, you find like-minded people. And then you form really good friendship with them and they will last a long time. But if you're not that lucky, there will be times where 
you are pretty much alone. And mm -hmm. and here, I think, I mean, it illustrates really well that, you know, she misses her big sister and she's alone. Like, everyone is like, she's so eager to to be part be of friends. the team. Yeah, right. and friends. And, 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 and it's really heartbreaking and sad that, like, she didn't find that group. But, you know, um, but I hope that eventually she'll find someone, you know, um, that will, you know, a group that will accept her for who she is, or, you know, that she'll find herself, like, fitting in, you know, mm -hmm. like, you know, like Wolverine originally did with the all new, all different X-Men, uh, yeah. and Laura, obviously, obviously did with the X-Family, so... I don't have a ton to add to that just beyond that this was like my favorite part of the issue. It's it's like so sad and you just feel it. It's such a primal feeling of being alone and not sure who you mm. can connect with. And I want Farouk to stay very far away from her. Do not get her mixed up in your shenanigans. Don't do it. No, she will take him. Like yeah, she, she will, will take it. She will be and like, what? No, get out of here. Um, but I do want to say though, like Scout, if you're listening, you know, you can go join some Facebook groups, meet some friends there, and then maybe you will have your own This Week in X every week yeah. that you can get together <laughs> and on. And then that no, way and you can find your community. Be like us. <laughs> be like us. That's what we're saying. And there is a bake off Krakoa. Right, she wants yeah. to be on the Krakoa and Bake Off. She wants to look like she's so, on there for so just, cute. Just a minute. <laughs> so good. Uh. But it, and again, kind of showing that like they've thought about entertainment before, they've thought about community. Just layers, layers, yeah. layers, layers. I just think it's so smart to have picked Scout. There's a lot of young mutants you could have picked, and you you know to be deliberate in picking somebody that we all as fans have affinity for, who's having a very specific disconnect in this community. I think just really drives home. They could have made up a lot more new young mutants. They could have used somebody from Academy X that we all have affinity for. But Scout is a really effective choice here, and I. Just just applaud it. I think it's really smart scripting. We would have been happy enough just to have her in the cast, but to have her in the cast and use her this well and give her her first real arc, it's just smart writing and it appeals yep. to you. Yeah. Speaking of smart writing and and something that like needs to be talked about is Rain. You know, Rain, who I'm in the middle of reading, the, literally, I'm, issue 50, the middle of reading original New Mutants, she's the youngest, most innocent New Mutant, you know, and she goes through such an arc. She has a baby with an Asgardian half-god and then her baby grows up to go to hell and then gets killed yeah. by Guido, her friend. And I mean, which is all recapped here. Um, yeah. And it's just like to play Rain as always this happy-go-lucky wolf girl ignores that she's a real character now. And I just felt like, again, it was just nice to get the subtext made text here and to explore that through her connection with Danny, Danny who's been there ever since the beginning. But Freya, yeah. as somebody who knows the X-Factor material pretty well, what did you think about this Rain material of kind of like bringing us back to the full dynamic adult version of Rain? So I've been actually thinking about how to discuss this, um, like, you know, like this week about this topic. It's very near to me. So this is, I'm trying, I'm coming up with a term and then maybe I'll, over the years I will like over the days, I'll, uh, I'll make, I'll polish it, but I call it the economy of women's suffering in storytelling. Mm. You know, so the thing is, I am so tired of female superhero losing a child and mm. then mourning for that child. 
I am so sick and tired of the fact that empath multiple times got regenerated and her son isn't. I mean, and the fact that knowing the relationship between her and Elixir, it sounds a lot like revenge than anything. You know, mm. the letter reads really weird because knowing their relationship in academia. Well, what you do? Because you just read those books too. I, I really <laughs> read those books too. I am, I'm telling you, I'm now so dangerous. You don't want to mess with me, ex-fans. Uh, but, but, oh, you know, but the thing is, which in and itself was very weird because mm. she was 18 and or she was 19 he was 16 uh like yeah whoa, was, let's mm. let's not get there <laughs> but you know i remember from x factor how it was a terrible like it was so terrible that first there was the uh, the baby with what's her name um siren siren. siren siren's baby yeah everything with siren and then there yeah. was her story and they were both about a female superhero losing a losing a child, and then we have on the other hand. I know you all love Cable, and then the family dynamic, but Jean Grey being settled with raising kids that are not hers. Like, <laughs> I mean, like, and then I was like, what is going on? And I call it like I'm. I mean, it's like economy of women suffering because like I don't know whether it gives some kind of like this is the only way that. People think, and this is not Vitaela's fault, by the way, because she's just like sorry, they sorry, they are just pulling you know old stories in yeah. the here, and I think it's it's works. But the fact that these histories were there, it's just it's a lot. It's just so much, and then the fact it's... that, and then like she just like she just wants her baby, and they're not they're not and, and but the thing is well, it's also very real life. It's also yeah. very real life to me. From that point of view, it actually hurts that. Yes, in if this was a real life, this is exact. I mean, we're seeing it now. Vaccination, <laughs> we're we're seeing it now. What's happening? People jumping lines to get vaccinated and all of that. So, uh, <laughs> this is very much, very much like that. And I was, I was sad. I was really sad about but, uh, it. I was sad twice uh, in this issue. <laughs> I mean, I think, I think the fact that Tier is not in the queue means something, because. Because okay. there's no proof of death. Remember that? Remember that X Factor right. has to establish a proof of death. Well, except but for then... the Quill choir, but that's something else. Um But <laughs> but I think I think this is meant to be uh, the beginning of another plot, another mm. arc. Yeah. And, and 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 Vita is basically establishing that hey, this is a problem. And yeah. then and, and and that's where this arc, um, this Reigns arc is going to, to, to go, to, to move along. I hope that's the case. No, and I absolutely agree. I hope that is the case. Because the thing is, it didn't look like they're even considering the case. Like, it was pretty yeah. much dismissed. Like, you know, yeah. it just like the, the way the letter was done and the way that she got it. And it's just like, you know, and at one point you have to wonder, is like, is Alexa doing this because he still hasn't gotten rid, like, you know, gotten rid of his old feelings or what what's yeah. going on so so yeah so the thing is like it's like all of it it's just like yeah. you know just women suffering it's like you know just it's it's the it's that you know just like and it's suffering because of a child you know a child that she didn't necessarily had like you know mm. didn't even get to see grow up or there was like yeah. so much that was going on with that yeah. i was like oh and it reminded me all of that and i was like oh and I actually mm, went I to can't... Wikipedia, Wiki to confirmed and <laughs> to read confirmed. what happened. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, rem I remember. I remember. I had to refresh, but I was like, Ugh. 
Sorry, Harry. Well, and the thing I want to kind of wind this up with here is I think I really appreciate this discussion about the kind of the economy of, of women's suffering. I think it's something we should continue and, and pay attention to in these books, especially because this writer room is a much more diverse writer room than any mm. point in the previous X-Men history. And there's a lot of economy of, X, of women's suffering in the history of X-Men. And I think so often women are given children in comics by male authors and mm -hmm. they're either given a child because that's character development. Oh, they had a kid. That's character development. Or their right. child is taken from them or killed or is away from them. And that's character development too. But the character development is that is the moment of attachment or the moment of loss of attachment. attachment. And then we never get to follow them as a person after that. Yeah. And that's what really struck me. And I'm so happy you crystallized it the way that you did, Freya, because this scene felt like one of the few times in the history of comics that I've ever read a scene about a woman getting to reconcile her own grief and her own identity after that attachment and to then have it with her best friend, another woman who's there to support her and, and she says, I'm always with you. It just really, really hit for me. And this is why it's important to have people with different perspectives on parenthood writing a comic book. And it just, mm -hmm. I, I just think it was hugely important and I hope that it lets us talk about some of these characters and what people have put them through in different ways. Uh, so yeah, I have some I have some strong strong opinions about that. Um, anything else on this rain Harry... plot? Did oh, Harry I was just chance. Gonna... I well, was too. You said <laughs> you, you said most of it. I just feel that yeah, like I do think the uh, become a f f woman character hero becoming pregnant, having a kid, and then losing the kid or what have you. I think that's just aggressively lazy writing where you want to kind of give a character the feeling of loss or detachment, but not wanting to commit to it and revert back to the status quo, which mm -hmm. kind of like colors the entire situation. And it's been done a hundred times. So I like the idea that we can actually bring, if this character can be brought back, it can kind of have a different approach and a different kind of look at this thing without being the same like heartbreak over a lost child. Or I feel like this is kind of a cousin to fridging in a way, but yes. uh yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. I, so yeah, I think that's the, the, the resurrections could be, could kind of not rectify, but to kind of push this into a, a better, less uh, contrived generic uh, place. Now on to the final scene in this book. We knew this was going to be the one we were going to talk uh, about the most. We, 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 we knew. Uh, the Doug's wedding reception! Yes! <laughs> Which has so oh. many layers. I I think we just have to uh, go around and like name the one yeah. thing that stuck out for us because I can't even summarize it. There's so many. Yep. We've already hit the Cosmar beat. It's a small but little bit. Something here else. What would you pull out from the wedding reception? Freya, of course, we're going to start with you. Doug's <laughs> wedding reception. What well, would you like to pull out? Somewhat. I, I, I'm trying to remember. Okay, so for example, first of all, Sunspot, what is he doing here? So he just came for the wedding because he's yeah. still in space. So he just came They've for the reception, right? They have a game. Yeah, that's the thing. Oh, they've got a game. Okay, it makes yeah. a lot more sense it now. That's, that's, okay. <laughs> okay, that makes that perfect sense. Yeah, so, and then, you know, he's mm -hmm. like, I'm so proud of you, little Doug Ramsey. Today, you of your coming of age. Tonight, you become a man. So I'm like, see? Huh. I wasn't the <laughs> only one who thought Doug <laughs> was a man. Like, his I, friends also thought that. I was like, ha, ah, this is amazing. Amazing. I love all these books are positioning Doug as like this sweet, innocent child, just like this very delicate boy, like sensibility kind of thing. It's, it's just uh, funny. <laughs> uh, Tyler, what stuck out to you the most in the whole wedding reception? 
Warlock is looking a little bit angry. I wonder why. <laughs> <laughs> That's it awesome. Is true. It's true. true. It is true. <laughs> I mean, there's always going to be that little bit of jealousy when you watch one of your friends. And you've almost got to zoom in. Like I, I'm looking at the off screen here at yeah. my second screen. Even the first scene is him, I think, with Brew mm-hmm. at a table, and Warlock yep. looks pissed. Yes. <laughs> yep. It's so small that you have to like enhance, enhance, yes. enhance. Yeah. exactly. I would pay money for that um, conversation. To read that also- conversation. Well, uh, in- <laughs> well, in that same panel, if you go all the way to the right, someone is mm-hmm. puking his guts out. Oh, where? I- on the far just, right? Just go right. Above Farouk. <laughs> there is a character puking there. <laughs> oh, there's just oh, so yeah. much. And this to me is a page where like that style does work. Because you mm-hmm. don't need a face yeah. on everybody. The fact yeah. that Warlock has more of a face in that panel actually yeah. makes it pop and be noticed. But like you didn't need to draw facial features on all no. these characters. <laughs> Gosh, I'm just seeing more and more stuff I want to talk about. Except for people. Mine, I don't know why. Maybe my, my feelings on X Force are starting to seep into other books, but I saw like Xavier talking to Beast. I was like, ah, Beast yeah. is here. And I was like, ah, don't. Whatever. <laughs> I was like, ah. I don't know why. I was just like, ah, Beast is here. Peepers is there. Uh, yeah, yeah, Peepers. Havoc, <laughs> ha- Havoc is trying to get out of, uh, you know, get out of Hellions, Hellions. By, tre- by telling yeah. uh, Simon, please get me out of there. You know, that's bad things are happening. It's like you got to request a transfer, it'll take two to four weeks. And then Maze actually was actually carrying Doug. That was the sweetest thing ever. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, she was actually carrying him. I'm like, oh, that's so, isn't that nice? So I have I have three things, but I'm gonna two of them are super quick. One is Dazzler and Lila Cheney. Yes. <laughs> okay, that was one. Uh, so two is uh, I love the Noogies moment because it's very Ileana being the big sister instead of being the little mm. sister, and she is very. Um, protective of Doug as all of the original New Mutants are in the original run and it just because I'm reading that run right now it like super resonated that she would treat him like this little brother and then would be, but then she's also a captain which like makes her kind of parallel to Bay. and then she has this moment with Bay, like right of course he's your husband now which yeah. I, I just think was again brilliant and then the final thing is what Freya noticed Doug is positioned in the traditionally feminine pose for the person getting married multiple times he's being carried in by Bay at the end when they have their kiss he's the one who's tossing his leg up um, in the air which is something that you know a lot of times and Bay is towering over him again kind of reversing the traditional gender labels of that kind of an image and I just think super clever you know whether Ayla totally scripted it you know in their script whether Rice decided on whether it was a collaboration it's just these little touches that makes him feel like a full character and he's not even the focus of this issue but I feel like I got some good Doug content here um, and also, like, um, uh, Scout is still looking for Duncan. So, what is? She, wh- 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 why? Like, did, did, no, did that Duncan ever get told, No, but I mean, Duncan told her, "Say, oh, let's let's play claws out at the party." Later. Oh, that's right, that's right. Yeah, yeah because I was like, oh, and that then, never get resolved. Yeah, and then yeah. Duncan she just, wants just decided to dance with Aurora all night. Well, mm. uh, I mean, it's Duncan. He's gonna, dudes. Duncan's <laughs> gonna Duncan. All right, gonna folks. Last go round. Is there any small detail, quick like oh, a strike I, of lightning, that we yeah, haven't two, talked about? I've just Tyler. two little things. One is Sharknado. 
<laughs> because what? one of the one of the synergy between Rainboy and Sharknado oh. is totally Sharknado. <laughs> it is Sharknado. The it's, synergies it's a, work a... so much better this issue. Yes, I agree. And then the other thing is that um, Magic went to confront the bullies. Like, what happened? Who are the bullies? Yeah, what happened? What happened? Anybody? That was the part which. I got nothing on that. Hmm. I, Do you I think it's a, Is it a deliberate exclusion? I think so. Okay. Yeah. It, it felt I, uh... very much like Academia X, though, because in the same that there was like same things were happening all the time like this, where someone will do something and you wouldn't know it until three issues later. Mm. So it's it's very much keeping in spirit of that. All right. I love th- that the in the party scene, you know, you had the first watch out of the whole crew, but then like each individual panel, there are like different characters from all the various books. They really aren't repeated that much. I've noticed like Wolverine, yep. Beast, uh, Aurora, uh, I think North Star Choir, like yeah. he he did put a lot of work into having different characters just in the background. And you know, that that's a little bit of the extra mile. Yeah. I mean, Dope was there. Yeah. Dope, dope, dope. Yeah, he was there, dope. <laughs> Before we get to our lightning round on X-Men 17, I think there is one thing that we need to discuss about the creative team on this title. And I'm going to be the one who says it, but all four of us took a look at this and all agree on the words that I'm about to say here. So this week, some comic outlets have decided not to cover X-Men 17 because it is drawn by artist Brett Booth. Crushing Comics exists to provide comprehensive coverage of comics, whether that's via collecting guides or multimedia discussion. And This Week in X is just one part of that. In over 10 years of coverage, Crushing Comics has never excluded a specific comic or a run in guides or in discussion because of its creators, even when the actions of those creators have been objectionable, harmful, or even unlawful. In the case of Brett Booth, his words online have incited and supported the harassment of a female critic. Separately, he has used language associated with religious discrimination and anti-Semitism. In 2014, Booth tweeted in response to a critique, not of his own work, by an experienced woman editor and journalist that it was, quote, the most biased nitpick comic article I've very read. That's what he wrote. As he continued to engage in that discussion, his remarks repeatedly included sexist and misogynist language and harassment of the critic. Booth's initial tweet and the ongoing engagement can be correlated with an ongoing harassment campaign against the critic that escalated to include threats of violence and specifically sexual violence. The Daily Beast covered this very thoroughly in an article in 2014. Starting in 2012 and continuing through the present, Booth has written blog posts and tweets critical of several different organized religions, which has included language and concepts that are very specifically related to both Islamophobia and anti-Semitism. Crushing Comics rejects sexism, misogyny, religious discrimination, racism, and all other forms of bigotry and the harassment that they inspire and endorse. Our covering a comic is not an endorsement of the comic or its creators. Our mission is to be comprehensive in our comics coverage and discussions, and we're going to attempt to continue to do so for you every week. All right, we are going to now have our from the gut, off the cuff, go round on X-Men number 17, starting with Tyler. It is the weakest Hickman X-Men issue by far. The art is very 90s, so you either love it or (laughs) hate it. One lightning bolt out of five. (laughs) Harry. So yeah, I don't like 
Brett Boothsart. So I was not looking forward to this in the slightest. Um, it wasn't as bad as I thought, but um, this book has nothing of merit. Now that doesn't mean I hated this issue. This doesn't mean that I have a lot, like I, I just fundamentally don't really know what to say about it because it's so utterly boring on every page. And, you know, Hickman, a writer who I enjoy quite a bit, I don't even think there's anything here that that's, that's fun or snappy or, or bombastic or epic from him. It just, it, it, like I read this book and then I finished it and I wasn't sure if I had read it. I didn't know if I'd like entered another state of being, I don't know. <laughs> so if I could like think about it enough to give it a score, I would give it 1.5. But again, I might be still in like a dream state right now. So I can't give it a score. So this is the most Claremonting, like, you know, issue, X-Men issue I've read, not written by Claremont, you know, and that's <laughs> depending on how much I have read Claremont. This is exactly 104, issue 104 or 105, one of the issue when they went into space. It was shot for shot remake of that issue in a yeah. lot of ways. And because I mean, it's just, I don't know. I mean, I didn't like it then. I'm not liking it now in like 50 <laughs> years later. Like, you know, when I, like, you know, I'm reading it. Um, I'm going to give it two sudden costume change out of five. <laughs> so, you know, I have to say that I've read Brett Booth art on comics for a really long time. I have his entire backlash run from Wildstorm. And without passing any kind of value judgment on whether the art is good or I like the art or not, the thing that struck me about this is having art that has motion in it brings more to a Hickman script that is a pretty dull script. And if you would have seen the script drawn by you, or even by Noto, who we love, we I think we would be saying really similar things to what we said last week about, like, why are there so many shots here? Why are we lingering on the scene? Nothing's moving, nothing's happening. I don't think that's a problem in this particular issue. And for mm -hmm. that, I actually was able to like it a little bit more because I just don't like how ponderously slow-moving this Hickman run is. But saying that, I just don't think there's anything here. I don't know that the script ever really decides what really is this rebel's position, what what really is this thing he's rebelling against that makes him want to kidnap Zandra. I just I just don't know that it knows. I don't think it knows why Storm is there. I don't think it really knows anything. <laughs> uh, so I did enjoy some aspects of it because it was snappy, and I'm asking for that in X-Men. But I think it really fell down in a lot of other ways. I think there's a couple of interesting things still to take apart here. One of which is a cosmetic thing, but we might as well talk about it because it's front and center, which is that Scott and Jean are in their X-Factor costumes for no yeah. reason. And 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 looking into it, it seems that maybe it was Booth's call that he could put them into whatever costumes they want. They don't really comment on it. But I just think seeing Jean not in a miniskirt, I'm sorry, I'm just one of these fans, I can't <laughs> let it go. It just let her do more, like leaping into a scene. We didn't have to worry about like carefully making sure that we weren't gonna get an upskirt of her. Like it let her be a physical, combatant, which Hitman does and does not take advantage of here, in one sense, I think it was a good Gene issue because Gene does something. Like, she she takes initiative to say to Oracle, like, I'm not saying you're a bad psychic. I'm saying I have different methods as a psychic who's looked into these kind of things before, which was fun for me. I'm like, yes, Gene does have different ways of doing this. But then later, at the same time, she's like, oh, Cyclops has gotten a knock on the head. We have to flee. Flee. Oh, mercy. Help. 
<laughs> so, you know, I don't know. You, you have to temper my genedom. This is like the one character that I get a little fanny about and like can't be critical. So was it a good gene issue or a bad gene issue for you? Oh, me? <laughs> yeah. Um, Who's got the jean shirt on, Freya? <laughs> I, I do have the jean shirt on. I don't know, Marvel um, Girl. Try harder. Like, yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, so, okay. So the thing is, I don't, I don't know. I don't know where, what to even think or what to even say because unlike you, I'm not actually a Jean fan because I have mm-hmm. not actually seen Jean, like, you know, because we talked about in another episode of the like, economy of, like, you know, or the celebration of women's suffering, I feel like Jean is the front and center of it all, <laughs> all the time. And I was just like, either we are truly, Hickman and I are truly soulmate that he hates this character like me, or he really, I don't know, or he doesn't really understand how to write get this character or what it is. Like, there were, like, so many kick-ass moments. And then, also, this is a Claremont issue. I'm telling you, Claremont probably wrote it because, <laughs> like Claremont, she will do a lot of kick-ass things and then she will be taken down a notch. Here it is, the same exact thing. She does some kick-ass thing and then she's taken down a notch for a man who has cheated on her multiple times, <laughs> like has a child Taking with someone that he settled her with, who is like, you know, doing like, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what, I don't know what to say. I mean, Harry. she looked oh, good. Sorry. No, no she's she Harry. looked good. Her she hair was great. Yeah, yeah it, was great. it was great. I mean, like, yeah. Like, yeah, Harry. man, talk about hair. From an- art perspective just from art i did like that they just had completely different costumes because hickman brought that up when this was all getting going he was like he was saying you know mutants can wear whatever costumes they want it seemed like he's encouraging that you could see different uniforms throughout the mm-hmm. book we haven't really gotten that much because you know we've had one artist with Laniel Yu mostly and, and Noto but like I liked that there was just a completely different look for this you know if they want to keep that going going forward have different costumes that sounds like fun that would be interesting I would love something interesting in this book uh but yeah um Jean was fine she got knocked out um yeah other stuff happened I I think I didn't I think she I think Jean looks cool in this I think it's yeah. it's kind of like a cool uh costume and i don't have a lot of experience with this uh period so i liked reading it so I mean, tyler is... you're the one who who knows the most history of gene here other than me yeah. is yeah. it a good I gene mean, issue or a bad gene issue it, it is a bad gene issue for me because um i mean it has i mean the art is very jim lee era like i, I in fact i think there are like two poses where it's almost it's almost a copy of like jim lee's art from from his you know, when he was drawing her somehow. But, you know, that aside, Jean has more powers than just telepathy. So I don't understand why she needs Smasher to hold her hand when they're flying I was so confused. Like, if it was Cannonball and they were flying, you'd be like, well, he's invulnerable when he's blasting. But, but... Smasher, I just didn't understand. There were so many moments Why? where I was like, it's like yeah. we remembered what she does for a second yeah. and then we've forgotten what she does. And I yeah. don't know. Exactly. Yeah. And then and then, you know, like we did early on, she was like a damsel in distress. Oh, Scott is out. Oh no. <laughs> we gotta leave now. Help, help. I mean it's like seriously? Yeah, seriously. Why? <laughs> yeah, la- laser face is down. Oh no. Flee. Yeah. Uh God. He he was our <laughs> bit heavy hitter. 
That's a separate character. Oh no, maybe it's Taserface. That's a separate character. I'm not, I'm not trying to confuse the characters. All right, so I think our second go round, and I'm focusing on some of the characters because mm. we'll get to the plot, which honestly didn't make much sense, but we'll no. talk about that. Uh, so we get more of Jonathan Hickman's strange internet fan fiction of Sam and Bobby's relationship here <laughs> via a data page about I it's. I I don't know. I mean, I, I really love them as like these. They're such great positive male platonic friends that they can tell each other that they like how they smell as they emerge mm -hmm. from the bath. But um, but also it's just like it's like this comedy beat that's held over from New Mutants and and the X Men book hasn't really been funny no. other than maybe a little bit in the Brood story and it just really was jarring to me tonally because it it was like that New Mutants tone but it was here in X Men I I don't know yeah. uh, Tyler what did you think about the the Sammy and Bob the good ship Sammy <laughs> I mean, and Bob the good that, ship that Sam was Bob. <laughs> that was the only part which I kind of like oh okay. He's, yeah, Hickman is back, back in form because, you know, he, he loves, he obviously loves these two characters and he loves, you know, playing up their, their, you know, relationship as in like, you know, it's platonic, right? Yeah. You know, that, that kind of thing. So, so I thought it was fun. I mean, that part is fun. I yeah. mean, yeah. No, that's like the closest, it's like got the closest thing to personality that this book has. And sometimes when Hickman writes it, it's a bit too much of Sam and Bobby. I want to like it more than I do, but like, mm. I like it when he writes these two characters. I liked it when he wrote them in Avengers. So like, I'm like, I understand this. I can latch onto this a bit. So that was, that was fun. Um, he draws a creepy looking, uh, uh, Sam though. Sorry, uh, Booth does anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Freya thoughts on Sam and Bobby who, you know, well from Avengers. Right. So, I mean, that's where my initial, like, you know, introduction to them. And I went on to read other um, other stories where Sam appeared. Um, I enjoyed it, but I just don't understand why this is a data page. You know, like, it's it, that seems a little... So is this like a texting that they're doing? Because if that is the case, then put it in a text form. So we mm -hmm. kind of know that this is a texting. That would have been so much nicer. Versus this seems like someone spied on them and wrote it up, which is <laughs> a little weird. Or... It was the Booth kid. Didn't have, or Booth didn't have enough time to draw this, you know? I mean, I laughed out loud when it's like, when you talk, I promise I'll always listen, always. And then Kellen Bell, look, Bobby, you know what is it? Hold that thought, Sam. I'm getting a call. So that was, that was very funny. But the thing is, this should have appeared in text, like, you know, text message format, where it's like a two-person talking, you know, like, you can you can do those kind of things nowadays. Versus, but it's, it's not, like, it's, it's, it's definitely not a text message, because he was interrupted, uh, Kellen Bell was interrupted. So like it's just an audio log. Yeah. It's just weird. It's like a strange use of a data page because it's exactly it's literally That's just weird. comic script. Like it feels yeah. like script. It's script that Hickman wrote that the editorial team was like, no, you you cannot have two pages extra in this issue to have this domestic <laughs> moment with Sam and Bobby. And he's like, fine, well, it's going to be our data page. So there. Yeah. Like it, yeah, doesn't, exactly. it doesn't really feel no. like, not that you mm. can. We've seen people do all sorts of different stuff yeah. with the data pages. But in this specific instance, it really just feels like it was a scene that was cut for space, which is a, it's, mm. and, and, and it should Every, be a new mutant, yeah. not in here. Yes. <laughs> 
Everything that Sam and Bobby do, everything Hickman writes with Sam and Bobby just feels like Hickman just cutting loose and just being weird with like his bromance stuff. Like just and like just just restraints or control be damned. He's just going to get really indulgent with it. And I think that has been good and bad. And yeah. I, this is this is good. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So um, let's talk a little bit about the actual plot of this issue. So, but before Zandra, we move on, uh, oh sure, hold on. Sure. Before we move on, you need you need to start talk about one thing that Cannonball says about child oh, yeah. upbringing. You, because yeah. that is important. I got, I, got <laughs> I went off just in one yeah. tweet. So when you're the parent of a child, regardless of your gender role as a parent, you're never babysitting. You're parenting. Because you babysitting implies that anytime you're not there, that the other partner is babysitting, but that the other partner is babysitting like 99% of the time. Th- yeah. That's that's not a thing that we as, as, as male-bodied parents need to be saying that we're babysitting. We're parenting. That's what we're doing because we're parents. Now, I can understand that some couples, right, might have it where they say they're parenting while they're together, but if one of them's out and the other one's kind of minding the homestead, they would both say babysitting. And, like, I can understand that. But the implication here is very much that, like, oh, my wife had to go out and do her job, so I'm babysitting. And it just, I'm not saying it's bad writing. This is not a comment on Hickman. It actually is, like, really in keeping with, like, cannonball, um, Dirt he's got bag. an interesting growth path, right? He, his father dies when he's quite young and his mother is the only parent and he had a very idealized childhood with these two parents in this huge family with lots and lots of kids and then his father dies and his mother's job becomes very much keeping them all alive and this, uh, you know, as the child of a single parent, like I have a lot of times that I feel very confused about my role in this household because there's two of us and it's not like just one of us has to do everything and it's, it's, I just think I'm not complaining about this writing at all. I'm yelling at Cannonball, the character, but I think as as somebody who identifies with him a little bit, uh, I think it's actually really interesting to see that he still hasn't, like, owned that they're a unit and they're both parents and they're parents together. So, it just made me remark. Um, And, you know, male parents out there, you're not babysitting. You're parenting. Okay. But to that point, I feel like he is saying that because that's the way Sunspot understands it. Oh, interesting. Because you think he's I'm such a himbo that Sam yeah. is like, I'm the babysitter. <laughs> yeah. Sitting like the he, baby. Because he actually kind of uh, says that. Like, after all, I'm not just a superhero Bobby. I'm a superhero dad. You know, so I feel like he just have to lay it out for him. This is how it... I mean, I don't know. I thought that it was uh, it was very interesting that you picked up on that. Well, and Bobby historically... As, as the only parent in this In group. this yeah, and well, no, yeah. Bobby historically, he's like very Bobby centered. Like Bobby always looks at, at what it's going to look like for Bobby. Sometimes that yeah. makes him great, and it makes him brave, and it makes him make good decisions. But it's always very um, <laughs> centered on himself. So it's interesting that you bring that up. Like you know, for all of my fetching about Hickman's characterization, he does understand these two characters extraordinarily well. Mm-hmm. I don't love funny Bobby, but. He, it's it really really connects. You can go right back to yeah. New Mutants number one, and this makes total sense. Yeah. Now let's talk about plot. So in Mister and Mrs what X plot? by Kelly Thompson, yeah. Gambit and Rogue discover this egg, which is turns out to be the artificially grown child of Lalandra and Xavier Zandra. And in the first arc of New Mutants by uh, Rice and Hickman, she is finally installed in her rightful place on the Shi'ar throne. But now there's this conflict happening. Can anyone un- explain it? 
I've read the issue three times now, and I can't. The Harry, only th- you're on. Yeah, the only thing <laughs> I don't know. All I'm just pretty dang sure because this a lot of this book is dealing with like a like monetary a financial collapse and kind of like conflict stemming from that. And I, I should have reread to be sure, but I'm I'm pretty sure this was introduced in Al Ewing's Guardians book right now. Oh, which so you is think that. this is an extension of that, which is also kind of like tied up yes. a little bit with King and Black. You think it's part I, of that whole. I think I'm. Pr- I think so. I. I yeah. I, I remember in the Guardians book them talking about there being some major like financial crisis and no one really having money. Um, so that's where I think the whatever this villain's name is, where a lot of that's or, coming from. Or 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 or, or. <laughs> yeah. That's the name. That's his name. Oh my gosh! Yeah, the- I forgot. I'm not even yeah. kidding. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I mean, Tyler. <laughs> isn't he? Isn't he like Roman the accuser? He looks no. like he sucks. That's I don't yeah, know what this guy's name like, is. But he's not. Roman. He's the he's welder. Well, he's a welder of the Great Maw of Stygrier. Yeah. Dude, I don't know what that means. <laughs> Whoa, Tyler, you actually remember I mean, the, that? The, 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 <laughs> well, I wrote it down, so I'm looking at it. <laughs> and you know, I mean, I don't. I, I'm not sure if Er actually knows er. how an empire works. You make a blood sacrifice when no one knows of it and no one knows the motive of it. We'll not liberate anything. It's like Yeah, oh, it's just yeah. gonna plunge it into more chaos. Yeah, you're just a murderer, basically. End of story. I don't think this guy's a big thinker. He looks like he sucks. He's got he's got like one head plate, he's got like antlers, he's got like shoulder pads with little circles in them. I don't I guess it just matches boots and yeah. his 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 knee guards, so that's good. Um, no, but I mean, it's it's also very confusing as to how the X Men and Smasher intends intended to rescue the Empress, because they basically <laughs> storm the area where she's held captive. They have no intel on how many or who were there. Jin said that the assassin's mind is a soup. Um, you do not, and also you know, Smasher call for backup. And do not wait for backup to arrive. And then got to call for backup again in the middle of a rescue opt. I was like, um... And then Earl got thrown forward, rush Scott from the side, and knock him unconscious from the back. Yeah, so I... <laughs> when he, that, that panel where he's swinging, I looked at it like three times. Like, how yeah. did you hit Scott in this? Like, it doesn't... Yeah. I don't see it. He came from the it. side. He came from the side, and then he knocked him out of the back. I know. Okay. I, so before okay. we even get to this, I'm still stuck on the first page. I I do think oh. that it's it's specifically attributing Cockrum's crazy space battles um in the uh. early part of X Men, which I think was free is picking up on. Like this splash is like yeah. legit meant to reference mm-hmm. that. I absolutely no, it that. is. But that one I, just, I believe too. I just want to take it like word word caption by caption as I try to parse this. Okay. The first <laughs> caption. I'm not going to read them all, but the first one is like the galaxy is in turmoil. Got it. The second yeah. one says. Despite past turmoil, commerce has been the thing that has kept this quadrant going. Okay, I'm still with you. Then the third one says, warlike or savage, ancient or cultured, you know, having to have some kind of network related to that gives them interconnectedness through banks, through credit systems, through black markets, etc. Until now. And the until now page has Skrull and Kree, who are all spoilers- part of the same empire now because of empire 
And then you have one of those horse people from Hickman's Fantastic Four, that, um, and also from Power, Power Pack, right? That's the Power Pack horse. The Whitey Chimeri? The Chimeri? Yeah, no. Chimeri. That sounds right. And yeah. but but not but things are not intact. But it almost shows the scrawl and the Kree guy fighting, which like doesn't make any sense because they're the same empire now. Okay, continuing. So then it says whether Shar or Brood, Kree or Scrawl, Wrath or Chameleon. There you go. Um, along with the galactic currency, worlds are collapsing and only are kept in my, line by the might of the Praetor, which is um, what's his yeah. name. Purple Superman. Gladiator. 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 Uh, the boy. And so I'm like, okay, so it's all falling apart, which maybe is a nod to Empire, but like, why are we not saying anything? This was always going to come out seven issues after Empire is done. And then it just ends by saying, these are not yet the black days of the end times, but the sun is setting. Um, and basically, like, all this stuff is weak now, and the Majestics has disappeared. And so, like, what did we learn? What what happened there? So... All, all that I got from that is like, the economic yes. markets are a little bit weaker. That's it. Yes. I, I've read it now That's six it. times. Six times. And I still so cannot this, figure out what I'm being told. This is setting up sword. Because we you talked so? about it. How, how every Hickman issue sets up another, another series. So this is Do you think it was supposed sword. to come before sword? Something. It had to okay. be. Or else I'm sure? not I'm lost. Or else I'm lost. <laughs> I mean it's it just it just like it, it felt so weird though. The placement of it is so weird. Yeah. Like we talked about like, you know, election, finishing up all of that, and now we're talking about which is also very paramount. Uh, but is it is this supposed <laughs> Okay, if if you're saying that this is setting up sword, so you we are setting up Storm to be part of Sword. Yes. Maybe this is part of that storm handoff. The reason we keep yeah. saying that is because in the one promo image of things to come, Storm was pictured with one of those objects yeah. like what we saw in the first issue of Sword. Yeah. So yeah. you know it's not so been like announced. Might. Yeah, her yeah. whole like leaving Marauders, then here we like think she's being transitioned to space stuff. Pure conjecture. Uh, so the other thing that made me laugh is like, so Sunspot's going to call in some X-Men as a result of whatever this problem is that has led yeah. to Lalandra being kidnapped by this very not deep-thinking Zen villain. Zendra, Zendra. Zandra, Zandra. Yeah. And... Mm -hmm. um, and so Death Sunspot's like, I know a guy, and Deathbird calls them up, and so they scan send Scott, Gene, and Storm. I'm like Weird pick. It was a very <laughs> strange pick. <laughs> yeah. They were probably just hanging out doing nothing. They're no longer in the council. They're no longer in the murders. They're doing nothing. So hey, you guys, instead of I teaching mean, the kids, go to the space. It, and I it, do I don't, think that oh, go ahead, Harry. I just, I don't want to cut to the end. I just, is there anything that was the point of this book beyond just Storm getting a favor? I, or like getting a position? I actually think that part of the whole point of the book mm -hmm. was, um, was them saying that we've been in a saving the day kind of mood. It almost, it almost feels like Hickman's like, see, there are things we need in a way team that are the X-Men to do. Look what happens when the Shi'ar have a problem. Mm. And then it's like, oh, and Scott got hit on the head. Let's add some more members. Like it really, really, like I think he's setting up something that's having his sword and he's in his sword. And I think he's like trying to justify why this team is a thing. And I think that's the whole purpose of this book. It's not very good at that. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I have so many questions. Like, how did Storm stop the hammer? With lightning, Tyler. How? Lightning. <laughs> she used lightning, okay? That stops hammers. It was a it's feat, well known. okay? She can I stop like, hammers with lightning. Uh, it's a feat. It's established. Now Now we know. And then and then, why did Jean congratulate Xander at the end? Oh, congratulations. You. We rescued you. I'm like, yeah. uh... No, because all... she... I, I, 
I think this is the first time she's seeing that she's um, taken her rightful place, right? So she's giving yeah. confirmation for that. No, no, but she, she disappeared. Took her rightful, right, yeah. rightful place at the end of New Mutants arc. Yeah, but Jean hasn't met her before, like before this. Yeah, no, she's just being polite. Yeah, yeah. maybe. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, that's weird. what I thought. That's what I thought. Like, and, oh yeah, she's. And being... also, I think, like you know, the Shi'ar owes X Men even before this. Like <laughs> the new, the, the 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 New Mutant arc itself, right? I mean, the New Mutants save Xander. From um, Oracle and uh, the other the other guy who was plotting to get her killed, and so I I don't understand why they need another plot to yeah. so that they owe Storm a debt. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's a repeat. I don't, of, know. I, I don't know. And where's this <laughs> absentee dad Xavier? Uh, <laughs> final go round. Is there any small thing you would like to pick out from this issue as a parting shot? I think this issue might have defeated us, but I think we need to rally next week. No, I mean this. There's just there's <laughs> oh, not there's sense. there's nothing here. There's literally nothing. That's, there's nothing. Not, no personality. No kind of Hickman writing. The arts bland as yeah. can be. Uh, I also, you know, I I was kind of having fun seeing how few panels had people with feet in them. They're always <laughs> just she was out having of frame. trouble with legs, which is funny because he on Twitter, was. Booth gives yeah. people anatomy help on drawings. Like they send him drawings, mm. and he'll be like, "Oh, uh, I think you uh, should like try this that." And he does have a good grasp of anatomy, but he mm. was having so much trouble making sure that Jean's legs were going in the same direction, yeah. and it like really took me out. On the one page, I just stopped and stared like it was an M.C. Escher painting for like five <laughs> minutes to be like, "How do legs do that?" Anyway, sorry. Like I, yeah. I like. Hickman a lot. Freeha, I know you do too. Yes. You know, like I like giving this guy the benefit of the doubt. And but like my thought has been with the X-Men book has been it's been pretty good. Part of it feels like not a placeholder book, but a book that's just kind of hidden the basics while it's setting up things for other books to capitalize on. And I was like, maybe that's being unfair. But I'm reading something like this, then yeah, that's absolutely what it is. Because there is no there's nothing here to justify it existing. There's just not. Like, I, I know we talked already about, you know, if maybe having some moral quandaries with the reading of Brett Booth issue. Uh, you could, if you need it, this, it's, it's easy with this one because it's so skippable. Yeah. Yeah, and that well, to me is why, like, I'm happy we talked about it. Like, I don't want to mm -hmm. confer the idea that it's skippable just because it has a certain creator on it. Like, let's talk about the fact that it's low quality. I that That's just my approach yeah. to all comics. Like, I never want to shy away from a comic um, and let people be like, oh, maybe it was good. You won't know. No, we know. We read it. <laughs> <laughs> we read it. Yeah. We read it in depth. Some of us So you don't times. have to. Yes. Yeah. Um, no, but the thing is, like, I, I'm coming off reading Hickman's East of West, West, which I know that Peter doesn't like, but, you know, it's mm. incredible. From, oh. from the 45 issue, it's incredible, the world building and everything. So from there, coming to this, I'm like, oh. Like, like, you know. Uh, like, yeah. I, I mean, the only thing I'm going to point out, like that we didn't cover, and it's not it's not much, is that I don't understand why Scott and Jean is acting so lovey dovey on a mission. Hey, married couples like, oh, can be. Touching him. They reignited like... their spark, Tyler. Yeah, <laughs> on the moon. On the bring mission. someone else into the bedroom. Bring someone else into the bedroom. Exactly. I was just gonna say though, it's sometimes when relationships stall, you bring like a stinky small person into your relationship, and then suddenly you begin to realize, and, and you begin to realize, wow, this other person is actually amazing. You know, at least Jean's realizing that. No, wait, is Emma in their relationship too? 
Yeah. Go look at the moon map back in X-Men number one. Okay. <laughs> My, I thought it was Wolverine yeah. and him. No, and no. M.M. and Jean sharing the beer at the end of Hawks. Yeah. Anyway. I and Emma and Jean sharing, sharing clothes. Can we get that book about the weird romantic, like the romantic like quadrangle? Can we do like something that's not There's just like- There's a quadrangle, okay? Oh, Emma sorry, does just... not touch Wolverine. Okay. Fair. Let's yeah, get that see, out of the way. I would rather yeah. read vector, that than... Okay, it doesn't meet in the, oh in the two sides. They don't go together. <laughs> this, this, <laughs> yeah. I just want to say this book was like could have been written by like an algorithm. Like this, this book cannot pass the Turing test. Like I don't, <laughs> I don't. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was harsh. I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna I'm getting with one art positive, which I don't just think is a boot thing. It's just the thing I like. He lets women take up as much room on the page as men without just making them like buxom. Like he's, there's even Deathbird who has this like bustier costume. Mm -hmm. It's really not about the TNA. Jean has a small waist, but like she's got hips here. She has muscle tone. Yeah. Like I, th this is kind of I, I. One of the reasons that over time I enjoy Booth sometimes is because he will actually sexualize the men in his art sometimes more. Like the men, it's like I feel like Cyclops. Every picture of him starts with his crotch here. Like it's kind of hard to look away from. <laughs> uh, and I'm just, and I just kind of like that. Yeah. Like Jean, Storm, Deathbird, they take up space on the page. They're women that have like bodies that even though they're still eccentric. They're accentuated with like hips and muscles instead of just being like narrow. And I, I just like that. I think if you're going to do this kind of Lee 90s pastiche, at least like updated a little bit from what it would have looked like in 1991. So whether you see Ruth do that or somebody else, that is one of the things that I usually have my eye out for. I love how huge Deathbird is. She's just yeah. big. And it just, it just <laughs> yeah. is satisfying to me. So that is the one positive thing that I can say to try to close this out with a smile here. Uh, that is it for our discussion, our mega extra bonus size discussion of the four X-Men comic books out this week. It's a lot. Uh, next week, it's going to be a little bit smaller, but not that much smaller because we're, it's going to be a Hellions X-Factor week, which causes <laughs> joy amongst the villagers here. And there's also, on the schedule at least, King in Black Marauders number one. We'll see when we get there. Whatever X-Books come out, that's what mm. we're going to be reading. Uh, so I want to thank you all for being here. And this was a marathon for us. And I just love that... As usual, I feel like the pendulum swung on all of these issues a little bit. We actually yeah. found some ways to like Excalibur and, and Wolverine a little bit more. I think you kind of pulled me out of my full negative place about the art on New Mutants. And then we all came to an interesting place there on X-Men. I don't know. What would you say? Are we okay? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's uh, the conservation no, of... I said that... I said that it's a conservation of hate. You know, we all start with a certain level of hate or like, and then we just kind of transfer it to each other. And then we Talk all end with like a same level at the end. That's what yeah. it talking is. About, it's like a high pressure, yeah. low pressure, it all comes out the same. No, talking about X-Men was so much more fun than reading X-Men, like by far. Like, come <laughs> I, on. <laughs> I think talking about Wolverine was so much fun than, more fun than reading Wolverine. Same. Uh, yeah, and it turns out that we really, really loved X-Factor. Four crowns out of five, Freya said. So mm -hmm. thank you so much for listening to this mega-sized episode. Uh, we hope that you're going to subscribe, that you're going to stick with us, and we really appreciate your support. And please tweet at us, uh, you know, or stop by YouTube and leave, a, leave us a comment if you would like to share your thoughts on any of these issues. So on behalf of myself and my good friends and co-hosts, Tyler, Harry, and Freya, thank you so much for listening to another week of This Week in X here at Crushing Comics, and be well. Bye.